0: everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 335. It's going to be all about ghosts and goblins. You can play along with the show if you didn't know by now. It's what uh, a lot of our listeners like to do. Uh, If you can put yourself through the the sheer hell of playing the masterpiece that is Resident Evil 4. Again, we're covering that one uh, for the second time soon. Following that, I'll be handing over to Mikheel for Def Jam, Fight for NY. I assume that stands for New York. Yeah, that's true. And I'm a nervous (laughs) wreck, if you can't Uh, tell. Oh, it'll it'll be (laughs) grand. Uh, After that, a very different sort of a game with Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Following that, uh, Ubisoft's cult classic, Far Cry 2. If you can call a Ubisoft game a cult classic. Uh, And after that, more of a cult classic. It's Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth. As we always say, you can head over to CanaRince.com for the full schedule up to the end of the year. And if you go into the forum, as well as finding uh, some of our most committed members of the community and a very fun and friendly and intelligent place to talk games, you can even find the recording dates. We've had some requests about that. So, you know, when to get your games played by and when to get your opinions and experiences in for CanaRince.com, as I say. You can also get each show a week earlier than non-subscribers by supporting us for the tune, to the tune I should say, of just $1 a month. Currently around 76, 77p I think, uh, less than a euro. Patreon.com slash Canaan Rince. You get some other bonuses and including an extra podcast and some other early things uh, for signing up there and supporting us. You can also support us on PayPal. There's a button on the homepage we have another podcast as well. If you like this one, you really ought to tune in to Sound of Play every Wednesday. It's uh, it's very much the sister show to this one, but it focuses more on video games music. You can subscribe, review and rate to Sound of Play and Cana Rince, wherever you get podcasts, really. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 335 are, as you heard already, Mikhail Croder.
1: Take a key. For coming in.
0: <laughs> okay, I will. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, well, actually, we're going to hear from the forum just before we introduce our uh, other panellists today. Simon Sloth at the Kane Rinse Forum says, On the whole, I generally like to post on the podcast thread when I've finished a game, but in this instance, I admit defeat. I've started this more times than I care to remember and each time have been defeated at an early hurdle. Even clearing the first area was an accomplishment. I've always viewed it as my video game nemesis and only for revered savants to finish. Since seeing one credit Ben's impressive YouTube run, uh, I've been inspired to go back, and with the benefit of save states have inched my way forward, but it always feels like luck rather than skill, which gets me that little bit further. This is further hampered by the fact the game is relentless, and unlike, say, Mario, where you were given a chance to breathe, there is almost no respite to be had at any point. It's heart-pounding, adrenaline-inducing stuff at times, but these moments are outweighed, by deaths. Oh, so many deaths. I know the game is notorious and I would have loved to have been among the elite to have finished it, but I'm not. I will keep trying though. So yes, mentioned there, one credit Ben. Here he is. Ben College. When you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. Yeah, I, I do like the way your, uh, your your gaming exploits also serve as kind of motivational coaching for, uh, for life's, uh, life's travails. Yeah, exactly. It's just,
2: we can do anything at this point.
0: <laughs> as long as we've got an 8-bit do controller. Exactly. So yeah, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, actually, originally in Japan, where it was made, it's called Makaimura, which translates literally as Demon World Village. Uh, I'm not sure how they arrived at ghosts and goblins, but I suppose it has a nice alliteration to it. There are some creatures that you could probably call ghosts and or goblins, but yeah, it's an odd one. I guess they were always just looking for something that would would resonate in a in an American and or a European. Yeah, and it arcade. gives it a bit
1: of a, a Dungeons and Dragons feel, right? Uh, yeah, ghosts true. and goblins, Dungeons and Dragons, swords and serpents, uh, wizards and warriors, all that sort of thing. Yeah. It's pretty
2: broad as well, isn't it? As a title, it's quite all-encompassing. You, you, you think that like uh, it might bring people in who weren't specifically into a, a certain type of uh, a kind of a certain type of video games. So you, you'd see if you're at a store and you're buying it, and you'd see Ghost and Goblins. You might not be into kind of platformers, but do you know what I mean. It might be something mm. that would would kind of uh, interest somebody, especially around kind of Halloween and stuff like that as well. Yeah,
0: is this uh, perhaps one of the earliest survival horror games in its own way, uh, <laughs> even before Sweet Home? Yeah. So the original Arcade Flyer, when translated uh, for the West, read The Princess of a Certain Postful. That's P-O-A-C-E-F-U-L. Spelling mistakes are kind of a hallmark of this game. (laughs) Country is abducted by a messenger from Hades and a knight who loves the princess leaves for hades to rescue her however to rescue the princess the knight must pass through six gates guarded by satan's generals to reach hades of course there are also demons that attack the knight between the six gates the knight has five kinds of weapons which he uses skillfully to destroy the attacking demons and advance into hades the knights need your help to rescue the princess and escape from hades so test your skill Uh,
2: they've missed a lot out there if you're being honest I mean they should have put the knight has five weapons three of them are garbage do you know what I mean (laughs) like (laughs) it's just absolute ridiculousness
0: uh, so uh, looking at Moby Games though just this is for our uh, this is the skinny version of the uh, of what the game is because uh, I know we do have listeners who weren't even born and don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the history of, of the video games medium so Ghosts and Goblins is according to Moby Games a sideways scrolling action platformer spread over six levels each of which m- must be completed within three minutes or a life is lost taking in forest village mountain and cavern settings with increasing difficulty well that that's debatable our Arthur, the brave knight, although he wasn't officially called Arthur at this point, must rescue his beloved princess from the demon king Astaroth, originally Satan, as we heard, uh, and his forces. Among them are the various undead, ghosts and zombies, bats, ogres and goblins. Other challenges include moving platforms, ladders and water and fire hazards. The player can walk left and right, jump and is also equipped with a lance. By default to use as a weapon getting hit by enemies causes Arthur to lose his armor and run around in his underpants getting hit again will cause the player to lose a life as in most games in this genre the player can pick up power-ups such as daggers and bombs <laughs> if that's that's power-up debatable again we'll get into that during the course of the game giving the player greater firepower. so capcom made this game uh, it was published by capcom most of the world but taito of america handled the usa distribution uh, the director was Tokaru Fujiwara, who uh, had previously made Puyan yan and Rock and Rope for Konami, went on to make uh, Volgus, a uh, vertically scrolling shoot 'em up for Capcom as his first game. Also the curious uh, sort of single screen action game Pirate Ship Higemar before making Ghosts and Goblins and Commando at the same time. He, uh, you know, not mucking around there, uh, went on to uh, be involved in an enormous amount of uh, games that you will have heard of, uh, a, a host of uh, Mega Man games, he worked on Strider, worked on uh, some of the spin-offs as well, but also things like Dark Wind Duck and Tailspin, um, and yeah, just a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of cool stuff. Toshio Arima was the main programmer on the game, also worked on Commando uh, and uh, went on to work on uh, Section Z, and uh, also had previously worked with Fujiwara-san on Gyrus. Uh, The artist, Masayoshi Kurakawa also ended up working on some other games that we've covered, including Deadly Premonition, uh, only as planning support much, much later. Uh, Advised on Mega Man's 5 and 6 and worked on some of the other Mega Man games. Also worked with uh, Fujiwara-san on the Tomba, or Tombi games, depending on where you come from. Uh, Yeah,
1: I think the... Artist has put a, a very big stamp on this game. I think it's a really big part of this one.
0: Yeah. And also the musician uh, Ayaka Mori, again, worked on uh, 1942. Uh, uncredited uh, a famous game uh, famous series also uh, other capcom games of the era including sidearms hyperdyne and sun sun the original release of the arcade machine was september 1985 according to publisher capcom ghosts and goblins has sold 1.64 1.64 million copies worldwide since its initial release that was as of June 2016 according to moby games but i'm not sure if that's uh, just coin op units or that includes nes cartridges or the home conversions i doubt they would have had even had the data of like the home computer versions so who knows um and the user score for the game is sitting at 3.8 out of 5 on both moby games and the international arcade museum hmm. So, our histories with the game. When did we first play it? What are our memories of it? Did we even play it at the arcades? And how much have we played it? Ben? I had
2: the Spectrum version, uh-huh. uh, which which I imagine... Uh, I can't have been that old. Seven or eight, maybe, in that yeah. neighborhood. Um, and I also remember I never got past the first the first level. Um, and I, I, I thought it was <laughs> one of those... Because, like, so many Spectrum games at the time were really, really short. Uh, yeah. I thought... That was the, like if I got to the end of the first level, I thought that was the whole game. Yeah. And somehow right. I just I was like, no, that's, that well, I can't do this. And then I remember I played it in the arcade. They had it in the uh, the arcade I used to regularly go with my with my dad. Um, they had a uh, a Ghosts and Goblins machine there, and same thing. Like, you never saw that many people. I once you never saw that many people playing it, but I mean, no, right. you never saw that many people committing to playing to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you never yeah. saw that many people really sitting down and. And, uh, and kind of putting a, a kind of session into it because it, yeah. when it came into the arcade that I went to, there's a lot of newer stuff out. They had it in quite late. And I just think uh, the, we, you've said it before, and it's a hallmark of this game and indeed this series, that unforgiving difficulty even then put people off. Do you know what I mean? Like even, even then people were like, your goes would be mercilessly short and you'd be like, right. well, 20p on anything else probably lasts a bit longer. So I'll probably have a look at that. Yeah. Um, but but that was the the kind of thing with me and then obviously we talked about the different games in the series that I then went on and, and played but coming back to this I remember um, on the Playstation 1 uh, this came out on the Capcom Classics Collection mm-hmm. and I had uh, me and a good friend of mine who I went to university with just had a, an I don't know what I don't know why we did it, but I just we, we just sat down one Monday night and said, right, we're going to beat this. We're going to beat Ghosts and Goblins, and it took Thanks. us about four months of just playing it on Monday nights before <laughs> that we night went lasted
0: out. four months. Yeah.
2: yeah, it did. It was four months of Monday nights. Like admittedly, just before going out to kind of student nights, so getting progressively a bit more hammered throughout throughout mm. the kind of evening. <laughs> so <laughs> tries would get worse and worse. Yeah. Um, but I remember um, he. It, it's so mad. How you remember these things, but. One, we went out every Monday for four months and then the last Monday that we were going to go out, he'd started seeing this girl and uh, I was like, oh, are we going to go out? And he was like, oh yeah, nothing changes, we still go out. Of course he didn't, <laughs> he proper blew me off. And uh, <laughs> I uh, I beat it. I beat it on that Monday night on my own and then oh, went yeah.
0: out. That sowed the seeds for One Credit Classics right Yeah, there. it
2: did, yeah. yeah. But it was something like, I don't know...
0: 25,001
2: credit classics but I mean like (laughs) (laughs) that was it I just remember beating it and and just thinking it's really weird like I I get these feelings like when I play games of this era when I I just have a a tremendous kind of void after something finishes especially if I play like a role play game something longer but even with something like this it almost felt like that because I've been playing it that long and when it finished next Monday night I was like right now what and and it's always kind of been a series that's kind of uh, fascinated me because of that, really. Maybe
1: that's exactly what you need, that sort of anger that your friend blew you off. That's that's the fire that,
2: yeah, that exactly. fuels you to beat game. I was just like, game. I'll show him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ghosts and Goblins
0: yeah. uh, before Bros or something. Yeah, exactly. uh, So you've been back to it more recently, uh, working up to a one-credit run, I believe?
2: Yes, I can do it in five um, That's at that, the I moment.
0: Mean, that's 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 incredibly impressive but yeah it says something that we know how how much you pride yourselves on getting these one credit clears and how much effort you put in the fact that you've been working on this for a while and you're still you're still on a on a you know a pitiful five five yeah. credits um it says something about the the challenge that this game presents
2: yeah it's just there's a few things that like compared to other games of the series um because the gameplay is quietly quite more simplistic you've got less options in terms of mitigation yeah. so obviously in the later games you've got magic and with magic comes in vulnerability frames and and the, the further later games you've got kind of shields which will take this a stray projectile or two and uh obviously uh magic as well is really good for taking out uh the red aromas which are probably the hardest thing you'll face like in this um consistently mm-hmm. and, and it's like you've just I don't know. It controls a bit stiffer as well, a little yeah. bit. You kind of, you're often getting stuck on things, and, and frames will have you sticking in certain kind of points. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it, it is. It's the, it's, it is the hardest one. But I mean, if those set of levels were presented with the gameplay mechanics you had in the later games, they probably wouldn't be that hard. Yes. Um, but it's just the fact that it's just simplistically brutal.
0: It's a tough blend, and uh, it's a, it's a harsh mistress, and all that. Uh... Yeah, so mm, five credits. As uh, advertised. Well, as advertised. About... Well, it's not advertised. Yeah, it's not advertised. Credits, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, but, you know, we're called Cane and Rinse and Mikheel and I are both about to admit that we, we've definitely not Kane and Rinse this game in, 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 the, in the way that we would like. Uh, but, yes, we'll come on to that. And, obviously, we will you know, talk in some detail about uh, why it is hard and uh, and so on. Uh, so, Mikhail, uh I believe you played the NES version back in the day, but did you have any experience with the coin-op? No, and I actually got to know this game through
1: the NES version. Mm. I very vividly remember getting a flyer with uh, the tally of launch and near-launch games for the NES in Europe. And this was when we knew we were going to get one with a bunch of games from a colleague of my mother's at the toy store. But we didn't have yeah, it yeah. yet, so I was peering at those screenshots, and they were next quite close to screenshots of Super Mario Bros., and there are a lot of parallels between those two exact two games, actually, right? I mean, Ghosts and Goblins came out only maybe three months after or even a couple of weeks after Super Mario Brothers came out in the in the arcades. It did. Yeah, it was,
0: I, I think it was literally like less than a fortnight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The funny thing is I looked at the box art, which was the same as the arcade flyer. Yep. Which really appealed to me, maybe more than any other game that came before. Just the, the character design in there and the creativity and the comical uh, morbidity of it, you know, Mm. this sort of uh, cutesy, spooky uh, illustrations. Yeah,
0: fun horror, all these monsters, all eyeballing uh, yeah the knight who's yeah and jumping. the
1: aramurs and the ogres or the big men they have sort of these ape-like faces you know it's, yeah. it's very striking everything around it even the what they call the unicorn in the game the big the big yeah, guy yeah. with the with the he uh, has got the a tiny, whole, one horn he has it... one horn yeah but I, I, might spike, be he's a got a spike name. waistcoat
2: as well ain't he cyclops <laughs> like yeah randomly. exactly
1: <laughs> cyclops would be more apt yeah yeah but yeah it, it the funny thing is it Appealed so much more to me than Super Mario Brothers, actually, okay. just in its art style and i've throughout the years I've come to love the Super Mario games just for their sheer playability. But I've never gravitated towards their art, art style as much as I did uh, towards that of Ghosts and Goblins or Macaimura. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, before I ever got to play the NES version, I actually played the, the C64 version. Yes. Because we were still waiting for the whole deal to be arranged with my mom and her ex-colleague uh, or her colleague at the time and so i played at a friend's house on his uh, c64 i was properly getting into it mm. and i also remember that wildly different uh c64 soundtrack i can just yep. hum it in my head that mark yep. cooksey uh, tune which was brilliant um and then we finally got the nes with ghosts and goblins and even then, I felt like it kind of disappointed me, disappointed me in a way, but we, mm. we were playing all the games that we got with our system, so even uh, that one as well. But the scrolling was kind of jerky in the NES version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's kind, kind of odd. It feels kind of odd. And uh, as stodgy as you might feel the arcade version uh, is, the, the NES version felt, I guess, responsive enough. Mm. But just yeah, it felt felt a bit off and, and unreliable somehow. Yeah. Uh, but I did. We did clear it. I mean, the NES version. I'm I'm not sure if it was a trick that we used, but at least you hadn't. You could continue endlessly. So we got. Yeah. I got to the end of the game. Beat the the first loop, and then the whole thing, you know the 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 old Spoiler alert! you like spoiler alert. it's <laughs> the last room is a trap this you know Devizut, Devizut. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful yeah by by satan and you have yeah. to do this whole thing over again you're lucky it wasn't Santa. And I, bas- I basically said screw <laughs> screw that i beat the game i don't care if it was a it yeah i think a lot of people did yeah so and that, i th- probably never even touched uh, the nes version of Ghosts and goblins afterwards anymore and only years later i came across the arcade version in a belgian theme park which was a uh, western and cowboy themed theme park and they had an arcade in there that sounds with amazing. only yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Bobblyanland. It, I think it still exists. And yeah, the uh, old an Sunset
0: Riders and West Bank. And, you know.
1: Yeah, they had an arcade uh, in there with actually all Western and cowboy themed games in there. Oh, no, they so did. Guns- okay. Gunsmoke was in there, and Super uh, sick. Go- Ghosts and Goblins was the the odd one out.
0: Ah, so yeah. Yeah, very little cowboy. And I, I,
1: I, I was looking at it, and I was kind of marveling at how how great it looked in what I uh, in comparison to what I knew of the uh, of the NES version, and. When it came to the Wii Virtual Console, not not too long ago in comparison. Yeah, that's uh, that's when I when I snatched it up uh, the the arcade version.
0: Yes, right. Well, I only have the vaguest recollections of seeing the coin op, if at all. I'm not even sure if these are real memories or created ones. I have a. I have a, a, a It seems likely that I would have been able to play it or see it in Brighton because we were lucky. We we had so many arcades and we got nearly all the games. I definitely remember seeing Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, It's a dimmer memory. My stronger memories of Ghosts and Goblins are actually around the fact that it was converted to the home computers of the time you've already mentioned the spectrum and c64 versions we'll talk more about those later but uh it was it was quite a big deal it was um it was a game that was uh very well received the conversions were handled quite neatly on the whole by elite Uh, you might feel differently now if you played the arcade version and then played one of the eight bit home versions but at the time these were considered to be you know kind of high end uh recreations of the arcade machines even though they had changes and they had bits missing and and whatever else um but i remember the reviews were were strong and i remember my friends talking about beating these games i didn't really get the sense that it was a especially difficult game uh i became much more aware of the series uh arcade roots when uh ghouls came out uh and and the mega drive version happened but I didn't own a copy of Ghosts and Goblins because my 8-bit system was uh, an Atari 8-bit and there was no conversion on that. I never got the Amiga version. I don't think I was even really aware that there was a decent Amiga port. Um, So my first version was on the Sega Saturn on the Capcom Generations uh, compilation, um, which came out here as as that Capcom collection on PS1. But in in Japan you could buy five separate discs rather like the namco museums but with capcom games for uh, for the sega saturn or the ps1 so i bought the saturn version it was uh, an odd uh, odd one out of the collections in that as well as the arcade machines that all the others had on uh lots of the capcom classics uh this particular disc also had an emulation of the super nintendo game yeah. on it uh which yeah it seemed odd because they must have had to develop a whole you know different emulation system just for that for that one game but obviously they felt that it it was only right and proper that that um, the second sequel was included i yeah. actually get the feeling there's some sort of misinformation around super ghouls and ghosts because it was called super ghouls and ghosts i think some people think it's like a a conversion or or an upgrade, but it's not. It's it's clearly a third game in the series. It's exactly. A, it's absolutely yeah. not Ghosts and Goblins three.
1: Well, in the uh, the Japanese titles are Daikaijima yeah. for Super uh, for Ghouls and Ghosts and Chou Makaimura for uh, Super it. Ghouls and Ghosts. So it's yeah officially yeah. <laughs> differently titled. Yeah. Uh, third game. Yeah.
0: I mean the titling made sense at the time, but I think it also yeah I think it led to a certain amount of confusion. Anyway, Ghosts and Goblins. So I played it on the Saturn quite a bit. Uh, it. At least gave you access to the dips, the the original arcade dip switches, so I could at least crank up the lives and the number of uh, uh, continues, um, things like that. And I played as far as I could, which was probably about halfway through. Uh, and then I had it again on PSP at some point Uh, it was released on one of those Capcom compilations but then the the last and uh, most recent version that I had was actually the 2013 version which is part of Capcom's arcade cabinet which was put together by M2 our beloved uh, emulation experts Uh, and it's a very nicely curated package it's missing quite a lot of Classics, but it's still uh, a great set of games. Uh, It is available as backwards compatible on Xbox One as well. Uh, So that's how I've been playing it. And I've been back to it. And I played a little bit of MAME Ghosts and Goblins after doing some research on which ROM to play, uh, because some are, are considerably. Easier than others. Um, So I practiced on there. Then I practiced on what's called the casual mode, which M2 included on the Capcom arcade cabinet version, which allows you to tweak certain settings. Uh, So I I looped the game multiple times. Yay! Albeit with massive caveats. But it did enable me to understand the game to the point where I can now finish it with using um, not five credits, but yeah, more like, you know, with a lot of patience and time, I can get through the game on the default difficulty with a lot of credits. Um yeah, so I have yeah, latterly seen all of it. Uh I would have needed a lot of money at the arcades, but, but <laughs> there you go. So yeah, we talked already about the scenario and setting, I joked semi-joked about it being a survival horror game, but actually the scenario and the setting was quite unusual back in 1985 because I think although there were already odd games set in you know in and around either surreal or odd scenarios i mentioned pirate ship higamar which i don't even think came out outside of japan um but that's sort of It's funny you it. mentioned
2: that because that was on mm. the uh, the capcom classics collection as well that's right yeah. Yeah. remember yes because there was i want to say there was four discs on that. i want to say there was yeah, one yeah. that had the 1942 games that's right one yeah one had the older um had the older games you talked talking about so higamaru sanson vulgus xx's yes one of the ghosts and goblins games and one had uh commando mercs and something else I think. that's right yeah, Diamond yeah. Rai. Those
0: were those were the same discs that were released separately in Japan on both PS1 and Saturn. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, and then they kind of collected them all together for the next gen machines, uh, put them out on DVDs for PS2 and, and Xbox. Um, yeah, and and the, the arcade cabinet version collects some of the uh, yeah similar similar games from a similar era, 1943 and 1943 Kai and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, apart from those. Oddities. I don't remember too many kind of zombies and horror and things like that games at this point. Um. Atari's Uh, haunted
1: house was just some
0: blocks. uh, True. Yes. Some some eyeballs. Um, And the original Castlevania arcade machine, or Castlevania was still um, the haunted castle arcade machine, was next year, I think, or the year after. Yeah. Uh, Castlevania on the NES was, yeah, also 86, I think. So I don't remember. I'm sure there are examples, but I remember this being uh, reading those reviews in computer game magazines, and it was often described. Uh, even the term platformer wasn't entirely in, in heavy rotation, so a levels no. and ladders game would have been probably how it was described in a lot of computer mags but yeah, it would have been like, you know um, Graveyard, it, I guess it had elements of, yeah, sort of um, classic universal horror like, you know, frankenstein kind of vibe about it and, and yeah. all that kind of thing and it was, it, w- it felt a little different and, and appealing and it had this kind of atmospheric look about it then mm. you've got this weird twist of the the Arthurian—I mean, it's not—it's not Arthurian legend. Um, apparently, even people have referred to within Capcom USA and Nintendo of America have suggested that this is King Arthur from the, you know, the le- the legend of the Knights of the Round Table and all that. But it's actually just a knight called Arthur um, who's rescuing a princess. <laughs> Probably but, a
2: common name back then.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but it it's sort of it's a slight odd twist to put a night in a a horror scenario, isn't it? I guess I'd I'd never really thought about it until this week.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's not... that, that's the first time i've ever thought about that but yeah yeah me too i kind
0: of accepted it just exactly. yeah, you're like,
2: yeah. Oh, obviously yeah all knights, do you know what yeah. i mean throw, throw lances kill demons and you're like oh no it's just him yeah. isn't it?
0: <laughs> i mean the yeah. dragons make sense um, i did find it odd that he uh
1: as a knight that he would use every weapon he would get his hands on as a mm. throwing weapon
0: you mm. know? like
1: the lances the daggers the do you know what i mean the shield <laughs> yeah. he throws around yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is that's yeah. just his, or the cross? That's just his, uh, his, his martial uh, martial, yeah, martial arm, art training. I the guess. man just likes throwing. throw stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He just yeah. likes throwing.
0: It's good keeping these things at a, a, a distance. Exactly. Let's face it. Uh, exactly. when, yeah. you're, when your armor disintegrates, at, at now, I was going to say if, t- if
2: you've only got a like, if I'm in ever in a scenario where all my clothes are going to disintegrate if anybody touches me, I'm probably going to throw a lot of stuff as well. To be honest, yeah, with. Exactly.
1: yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But, and the, th- the thing is mm. also what you say about platforming we, we can't really sort of understate of just how groundbreaking this game was in tandem with super mario brothers in being one of the first real side-scrolling arcade adventure sort of games you know adventure is maybe a misnomer uh, but uh, just just it, it, like a, a platformer or a side scrolling game that feels like a proper adventure you know yeah. there were ge- ghosts like uh, or games like um Mo- uh, moon patrol before that mm. this game sort of goes hand in hand with super mario brothers and really sort of establishing that genre the the main difference between uh, uh uh, except for the striking art style i guess it's that in ghost and goblins the platforming is fairly minimal if you think about it yeah it's more of a and yeah.
0: gun really isn't it yeah stage yeah.
1: stage one only has one uh real Sort jump. of a moving platform uh, yeah. bit, and then there's a few gaps that you have to jump over, yes. and st- still over the course of the game, it's more like the 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 what did you say the letters. levels and, and letters exactly levels and As- letters. That's more it's more of like the the Donkey Kong uh, type the, of uh, the archaic
0: old phrase uh, the genre term terminology that is really not used anymore actually makes sense. they like the first the first thing that you come across after walking along straight is. A ladder that takes you up to a higher level. It's not a platform. Yeah. There is no platforming there. Yeah. You just you you go from being on the ground to being up a hill, I suppose, or yeah, yeah. whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, it's like a scrolling variation on yeah. Donkey Kong or Jumpman Junior, or a lot of those types of uh, types of games.
0: But as Donkey you say, Dragon with a real, like I say, like you say, with a real sense of progression and adventure, right down to the fact that from the off you are shown this absolutely tantalising map screen exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. so how much does the, the the sort of yeah the the actual scenario um appeal to you uh as as a potential player of this game and do you remember kind of did it capture imagination back in the day ben i remember um
2: when i played it i, I want to say i can't remember if the spectrum version had a map or not it must i doubt have been. it
0: I, I, doubt I don't even it. know i, I remember oh, the arcade do you mean one on, on screen map yeah or the paper start
2: map? the start bit like when mm. when you start and then it shows you how many that's something that uh like i say uh a lot of games went on to to do that. Like uh, Castlevania, you you brought up after you beat the first uh, uh, the first vampire bat boss, you get a map, and then the maps like that were a, a massive feature of the uh, the Castlevania games. After that, I think the crazy thing with it is with with Ghosts and Goblins and that that map is the fact that you, if you die, you get that map again. So the f- <laughs> yeah. the first the first maybe go you're gonna have you're probably gonna die on the red arama and that yeah. still feels like quite a bit because you're gonna have to like not get killed by those plants, not get killed by the zombies, jump over a couple of gravestones. You'll die in the yep. red armor, and you will be like, "Oh, I must be miles away through this." And then you're like, "Not even halfway through the first level," and it scrolls <laughs> through, and there's another six, and you're like, "You do get that sense of this is quite big isn't it, really." This, sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've got enough money for this, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it, it it it's crazy to it. Uh, that's such a, a a common thing now. Do you know what I mean? Like that's such a, you can't imagine a. a a con that a map at the start of a thing being a a, a big concept for a game, but mm. I'm struggling to think of too many games before that 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 kind of use that as a a kind of tool to show your progress through something like that.
0: Yeah, and not only a tool to show your progress, but also as yeah, as I say, for me it was this tantalising thing. Again, this is a, a, a probably part of this where you know m- me being the age I am, and and I mean I know you guys are a bit younger than me, but s- similar generation um, compared to younger folks. It's hard to uh, sort of express just how exciting it was just playing a video game at all. And the idea of progressing through this you know this world that somebody had created and drawn or some people you know you didn't know anything about them back then um these machines kind of magically appeared in arcades you had no concept of how ga- how they got there who made them they were just these <laughs> yeah. they were just the these. mystery it, of it all yeah it was it's ex- it was so exciting and they all, we we talked before Mickey about these about the games that had black screens and this is a great example where the backdrop there is a, a an amazing sort of impressionistic suggestion on the first level of a of a spooky forest, but actually it's just a few, it's it's not, there's not many colors being used. It's just a few pixels of trees, but there's a lot of jet black in the backdrop. Yeah. And there's this whole sense of what is there? What is there? Actually nothing. It's it's just the phosphor on the screen isn't being lit up.
1: Even the first section, you're in a graveyard Mm. at the pitch blackest, most darkest hour of the night. Yeah. And you see these mountains in the background with uh, a castle in the distance. Mm. It's it's st- stood out so much compared to anything else that came out at the time.
0: Mm. It really feels like you're going on a journey, and and that map, as I say, just cements the idea that you're going on this ridiculous quest. And also, yeah, it's um again, putting as I say, I don't, I didn't play this too much in the arcades if at all, but I can use my experiences of other games and a a similar time to know that as my 12, 13 year old self, I would have just been desperate to see the graphics. It was always, you know, what do the graphics look like on the later stages? It wasn't even just about saying I've beaten the game. It was about seeing the art on the screen.
2: Exactly. That
1: map wasn't just any old map. It was actually quite well defined. It was a showed sort of miniature depictions of the stages. That's
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So something like Golden Axe, which came a few years later, has yeah. that has those wonderful uh, between uh, level sequences? Uh, ben Ben may have seen these one once or twice, once or twice. <laughs> yeah, um, I just show them now. <laughs> which I, yeah, of course, which I always loved. But um, but they just they give you a very impressionistic view. Whereas for so the yeah, quail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, red lines and on a, on parchment kind of thing. Um, but here, yeah, exactly as you say, Mikhail, It's it's actually little sort of yeah, little miniature. Uh, interpretations of the levels yet to come. It even sort of shows whether they're, whether the level is mainly a horizontal one or, or a vertical one. That's one of the things yeah. we probably haven't already described about this game. It scrolls up and it scrolls along mm. um, and down again. Uh, and that, again, that, uh, is different to say Super Mario Brothers. Um, there is a sort of element of the run and gun about Super Mario, I suppose you could say. But here you've got a constant Arsenal of uh, lances at best, or not at best, but by default, um, of which you can have is it two? uh, Is it two on screen at a time? Lances two, yeah. yeah. Daggers three. Uh, We'll get onto the the details of the weapons, but yeah. So for me, I think even though uh, it took me a long time to actually get around to playing this properly, I always liked the sense of atmosphere. And even though it is quite, you know, it's quite light in tone in some ways. It's also quite dark, isn't it? It's it's got a weird it's a weird juxtaposition between the silliness yeah. of some of it and the and the actual theme of devils and demons and monsters.
1: Yeah, it's it's cute, cutesy, spooky, and and I can't and again just how much of an impact visually this game has made made on me. Mm. You know, just just back then, and I still really love that style that it that it uh, uh, introduced. Um, even something like uh, death smiles by cave borrows quite a lot from uh, ghosts and goblins in its monster depiction right. and, uh, yeah. and everything and that for that sole reason reason i jumped on death smiles you know and there there is an element of comedy there and we get into that as well just the fact that arthur wears nothing but briefs under his armor yeah. and runs around in his underwear being besieged by demons that's yeah it's 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 almost like a bit of a bit of dark comedy,
2: I mean he's in his underwear at the start, right just chilling yeah. out with the princess and then she gets stolen. i mean you'd get arrested for that now but yeah <laughs> he's just he's just chilling in a graveyard in his pants with true. <laughs> with, yeah. with the with that princess and then I, I, it's it's how unprepared he is. But then all of a sudden he's got his arm on. He's like, right, I better go sort this out.
0: He only has yeah. two outfits.
2: Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like the fans.
0: The yeah. the, the the graphics are. Uh, I think um, you you notice more now. Again, at the it is relative to your experiences and expectations. The graphics do look quite eight bitty now. You know, in that there's not a huge amount of color, and uh, you know, it doesn't look. Quite as as rich and um, smooth as even perhaps the next game in the series. Sort of if you go backwards from Ghouls and Ghosts, obviously on that, that those old compilations, you you can chop and change, and there's some absolutely stunning touches in even in the in the next game, and and certainly yeah. on the Super Nintendo. So if you are sort of working backwards, and obviously. Anyone listening to this is probably going to have played something a bit more contemporary. You're not necessarily going to be, you know, sort of completely astonished by um, the same sort of pixel art as you would expect in a in a modern game on a on a system that's capable of 4K graphics or whatever. But uh, but again, I think if you yeah if you sort of take into account what was what was available Um, I think there's yeah it it still looks pretty cool to me I think Um, for
1: its era it looked great especially if you compare it to the uh, actual 8-bit home ports that got
0: very much so yeah talking about being this character originally known as simply the knight, the name Arthur was introduced for the home uh, Famicom NES versions Uh, but we can call him Arthur now because that was that is official did you have any concept of uh his what his age was supposed to be when you were playing back in the day? Did you think it was cuz obviously we were I was like a yeah I was like 12 probably when I first played this game somewhere somehow. Uh you guys have been would have been really young when this Coin Up came out and you still would have been pretty young when you played it. Um it was unusual cuz I mean you were used to playing games where you played somebody older than you as a child. But mm-hmm. this was the first character I think I'd played with like Seemed to have grey hair and a beard, and you know, yeah, the, yeah. obviously, beards weren't as uh, certainly not trendy a among young beard, people yeah. back then. Um, and yeah, it seemed unusual and almost his uh, his slight stiffness of movement. Um, I mean, again, it was less, I guess it was less apparent back then. Although, again, if you compared him to Mario, who had all this slippy, slidy inertia, yeah. he did feel very stiff. It sort of seemed to tie in with his his sort of. Uh, his his seeming middle age appearance
2: I say he's like like an 8-bit Brian Blessed do you know (laughs) (laughs) suit suit of armour massive beard pretty stout I bet he shouts a lot quieter
0: (laughs) a lot quieter Uh, yeah yeah, no sampled speech
2: but he's supposed to be in his early 20s exactly uh, Ghosts and
1: Goblins but you know top tape around
3: yeah traditional
1: the exactly. de- traditional depiction of knights in popular culture uh yeah. especially in that era if you, you would have like a lancelot type figure with yeah. no facial hair uh, and fa- fa- facial hair and long blonde locks you know that yes. sort of figure and then like a, a a knight with actual facial hair you would actually associate with a much older character yeah like like, king, like, king like king a king arthur. arthur yeah uh, totally. for example yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, this was a few years. I guess uh, I think John Borman's Excalibur, sort of uh, bloods and breasts and swords, uh, epic was nineteen eighty one, something like that. Helen Mirren, Liam Neeson, people like that. Um, so there was a there was a sort of little. I mean, you know these these things never go far away but there was a little popular culture uh, resurgence for for these sorts of things. I don't know if it was any sort of inspiration. Um, But yeah according to uh, Tokuma Shoten's official guidebook for Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Arthur's age was 28 in that game which would have made him 21 in Ghosts and Goblins (laughs) 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 and 24 in the original Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, But you know, uh, there's a guy who sits uh, or a kid who sits in front of me at the football who must be about 14 who's got almost completely grey hair so yeah (laughs) Uh, but that's probably watching Bright (laughs) novel. yeah
1: and and to be fair if uh, if we were um, to place this in actual medieval times 21 was probably pretty old for uh, well it would be yeah Yeah, for growing up already yeah
0: yeah average sort of uh, life expectancy probably would have been well actually in this game it's uh, (laughs) it's it's very very short very short but four uh, minutes probably about 29 or something (laughs) like that so Let's talk sound and audio. Uh, I think that the sound effects, to me, are less important, although there's some very nice uh, little jingles and the sound of things kind of uh, being hit with lances and stuff is is all very satisfying, typically kind of um, appropriate for Capcom. But the thing that I think has gone down in Legend is... And, like, this game has three or four pieces of music that play on different levels but most people will have only ever heard the first one (laughs) but fortunately i think it's an absolutely astonishingly good piece of video game music i've i've heard it played now i've been sort of you know surfing youtube and looking for cover versions all this sort of thing and it sounds amazing what however you do it whether you do it as a classical piece um metal metal interpretations are not my my bag but i think it works um but my favorite version is a ragtime piano version a oh, ragtime this.
2: piano guy yeah. Yeah, yeah i love that one so
0: good um this yeah, yeah. tune he is, side it, reads
2: that as well doesn't he somebody yeah, just puts it in front of him and he's like right
0: yeah it's amazing, um, but such a great tune. I think um, so. Even if you don't like, I definitely haven't heard the other tunes in the game as many times as I've heard this original piece, and it comes back and comes back. But what a what a way to start a game! And again, it has that sort of weird mixture of being quite threatening but also quite jolly.
2: It's like it, it's really weird, isn't it? Like it sounds like the the, the initial bit when you get the map scroll sounds mm. like it's played on a big church organ. Yes, um, totally. and that's a. a, a, a a common kind of theme, because th- throughout the, throughout the, uh, the 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 soundtrack really, and the, the great thing with that is that with those kind of tones, minor chords sound really sinister because mm. you can play them and then overlay something else like over, over kind of the top. And even with the simplistic sound that they had at the time and the, the options that they had, you, on a lot of the levels you'll find there'll be like a, a just a minor chord held and then like a, a little kind of progression and it. And providing there isn't too much going on with the the game sound effects, yeah. it really works. It it, it kind of really <laughs> it, it really builds that kind of it really builds that sense of kind of dread, which is which is kind of it's it's equal parts like dread and jaunty somehow. Which I think yeah. t- to this day I, I can't think of too many other games that uh, and that's something that as the series went on, ju- the, the music just consistently got better. Yeah, um, right. Uh, but and, you could tell that the seeds of what they were kind of trying we're here you can see you see the 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 ethos and the ideas of the music they wanted to do the second they got the software with the next generation of games they were like Mm. right we're on here i can we can do it like we want to do it
1: yeah yeah and it's and it's very telling that that first level theme was reused for every uh following game in the series for the first level you know that's just a like a returning
0: yeah, returning motif. It's an absolute smasher. And what's incredible is that even after having heard it hundreds of times over a period of 30-odd years, I still like it. Like exactly. it, It's, it's it, it, so many games w- which punish you with death quite quickly. One of the reasons that, that you'll actually... Well, for me, one of the things that will actually send me away from the game is an annoying getting annoyed by a piece of music, because yeah. you're hearing, you know, the same few bars over and over again. But here, every time it kicks in, genuinely. I'm, I'm sure there have been times when I've been like, oh, shut up. But um, but I, I genuinely, I think I, I still love it. I'll tell you
1: this, though. Uh, for having been stuck uh, for two days in a row on stage six. Yes. I, at one point, because of the sheer shrillness of the uh, audio emulation, yeah, I had to... Completely shut down the sound, and I yeah. started playing uh, Public Enemy's "Fear of a Black Planet" album. <laughs> there <you go>. uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Terror Dome. While I was yeah. <laughs> trying to smash my way through the final, also uh, works final section. It really worked. Yeah, the riotous uh, production of the Bomb Squad really uh, meshed well with uh, with what was going on on screen <laughs> and my frustration and sheer chaos uh, <laughs> banging through my head.
2: I like the fact as well when we talked about the map screen. Like the the audio that you get on the map screen is significantly uplifting and motivating to make you think, right, I can have this. Like yeah. I, I automatically think that. If I ever hear that music, I've died. I've either started again or I've died. If it's a, if it's a no death yeah. run, then I've just turned it off. But if it's like, yeah. if I'm starting from the start and I'm on a, I'm on a proper, trying to get a, a no death run, then like the second I hear that music, just something in my head switches on. You just hear that kind of that like upward kind of chromatic scale uh, on, yeah. on the kind of organ. You see the map mm-hmm. scroll and you think, right, this time. Take almost, Take four hundred and one. <laughs> this is the golden one.
1: Yeah, it's almost Pavlovian. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. How many interpretations
0: yeah. <laughs> of that jingle they went through before, uh, you know, before Fujiwara approved it and just said, "Yep, that'll work for the you know for players for the next four thousand lives that they go through." Yeah, how many it is? Uh, yeah, it must have been. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe more um, Ayaka Mori just. Got it first time uh, or maybe they went through, yeah, umpteen iterations. I guess we'll, we'll never know. But yeah, did you, Ben, having now played a lot more of the later levels as well uh, as uh, as the earlier ones? And as I say, I have played through those later loops. I don't, I, I, I remember um, enjoying some of the later level tunes, but they don't, they haven't stuck with me, perhaps understandably in quite the same way. But have you kind of fallen for any of the other themes in the game?
2: yeah um I, I do know what you mean i i think it's 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 inevitable that you're gonna know the the, the first the first level music yeah. more than any other and that's gonna kind of uh stick with you uh inevitably um i think later on um i want to say it's the fourth i can't even remember i've played it that as stupid as it sounds i've played it that much i've gone like
0: oh i know what you snow mean, blind
2: yeah. to it yeah. but i think um i think it's the level with the bridge has got a quite good uh mm. it's got a yeah. quite good like, sound soundtrack when all the flames are coming up and you're running over that i do like that. Yeah, um, but I don't know. There's something like I say. It's just that that first theme is is so inherently iconic and such a great centerpiece to a uh, to everything that 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 game stands for. Like I say, it's equal parts kind of like creepy, jaunty, and and uh, and ad- adventurous, and that's exactly what exactly what the whole game is really. And, and I think that like that it set, it sets the tone for the rest of the game. And and they they didn't know it at the time, but the rest of the series perfectly <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah uh and i suppose uh the one sound effect that really stands out to me is the collecting bonus point items i really like that there's a very yeah. rich sort of um i don't really know it sounds like it, it it's trying to go for something like a, a xylophone flourish or something yeah. i'm not entirely yeah. sure but, but
1: like a like a coin jingle or something yeah like that. like a, that's the, very nice yeah. um yeah
0: and i know that on i think it's the nes version the uh the ghosts have a particularly annoying whale oh, uh yeah that will drive you insane but the i think i think even not in
1: not. the uh in the coin up they have have a it's the same one yeah the funny thing like a lot of the enemies have sort of an audio cue yeah which can be good at identifying threats actually like you you know what you're dealing with before you even see yeah them. exactly
2: you get that you first get them at the end of the first level after the uh, after the jumps you have those ghosts that kind of sweep up and down you have to go in between yeah and yeah. Then when you're in the kind of forest bit you get those ghosts yeah. that look like burritos uh, that, yeah. that, make the, that make that make uh, <laughs> that that make that ridiculous wailing noise and fire what yeah. looks like leaks at you um <laughs> but yeah, yeah they they're, they're difficult because they can turn um like, without that much warning, they've got quite a narrow kind of turning circle. So they can literally be above yeah. your head and then turn straight into you. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is uh, always nice. <laughs> In
1: the NES version, we always thought they looked like flying condoms. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Burritos or condoms, uh, don't get those muddled up. Yeah, home. really do <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about controlling Arthur. And obviously this will feed into more general gameplay chat. But specifically, I want to talk about Controlling Arthur because something that we, I think, as Kayna Rince and pretty much all modern kind of games critics reviewers outlets uh, we often talk about how crucial it is to have this amazingly responsive super uh, kind of tactile or or high fidelity control that really replicates almost what we're thinking that we're doing and it's kind of you know we're we're like without even thinking about it we're making one of these characters like super meat boy or, or whoever increasingly more and more games do this well, I think. Um, back in back in the eight bit days, it was quite common for characters to just control like arse. Um And so, at this point in the history of ghosts and goblins, it didn't seem at all weird that Arthur controls as he does, which is quite rigid, quite stiff, quite slow. Uh, he you can't move him in the air. Um, according to TV Tropes, uh, one of the entries says the main reason the game is difficult is because Arthur controls like crap. And basically <laughs> everything <laughs> outsteps him without even trying. Um, is that fair? Is that true?
1: Not entirely, I feel. Okay. Yeah, the rigidity is certainly there. Uh, but if anything, he controls very in a very responsive uh, manner.
0: Certainly the coin-op version. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's a few issues I think with ducking and getting up again. Yeah. <laughs> and getting, uh, getting getting off of ladders, of oh, yeah, oh. where you're mooning the camera basically oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> getting stuck there. Yeah, you need to keep on holding holding up uh, until you're really off left of it. Right.
0: Yeah, left and right, left
1: right. Yeah, but I think that's that by itself doesn't doesn't constitute to the the game's difficulty. I think it's a combination of other factors that we'll get into, but I mean, if the game would have been sort of more designed around the l- the limits of his uh, controls, it would be probably a lot more fair. But yeah, let's uh, let's discuss th- those bits later. But I think in itself, yeah, he he doesn't control like like crap, uh, and I think it's not the sole factor why the game is difficult.
0: Ben, you sort of came backwards uh, in that you played a lot of Super. Ghouls and ghosts. Before this, in which you have not only a double jump, but also some ability to control Arthur in the air. So yeah. this must have felt very restrictive.
2: Yeah. Um it's Something else as well. In um, it's weird. Like in Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and 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 Ghouls and Ghosts are, are very different in how they control and, and are obviously very separate games. And like something that you've only got in Ghouls and Ghosts is the ability to fire upwards which yeah. you haven't got in Ghosts and Goblins, and you haven't got in Supergirls and Ghosts. Yeah, odd that. You can, you can double jump in Supergirls and Ghosts, but none of the others.
0: They couldn't um, give you too much in any of the one... <laughs> anyone, too many tools in any one game, yeah.
2: But that's but that's the thing, you see. Like, um, it, it's a contributing factor to why this is so hard. is because of the... For me, the, the rigidity, I suppose, of the controls, and that if it was as responsive as the later games in the series, I don't think it would be as... I think you'd have more because the thing is you can react to stuff but the hardware won't let you react to it if that makes sense like yeah. and it's that's that's terrible there's probably nothing worse than that when when you die and you're like I actually did what I should have done but because I was yeah. stuck as you say on a ladder or uh, or I was ducking and then I had to I had to do something else um that is a yeah that is quite that that is quite challenging but it's the Hard fact to that take. yeah very much so but it's it's the fact that that it's it's very kind of stripped down it's like it's the first one in the series and, and the hardware restrictions were as they they had what they had to work with at the time and i think the other thing as well regards regards the controls is the fact that um without having it, it's it's crazy what a difference it makes but in in the later games having magic gets you out of so many spots mm-hmm. and you don't realize um especially you you talk about different specific situations and enemies like this is pretty much the only game in the entire series where you have to kill red armors legitimately like you have to Mm. uh, you have to analyze kind of patterns uh, and you have to you have to be able to judge where they're going to go and and jump in certain arcs Um, and there's no guarantees to that either because a lot of the movement Mm. is kind of randomized as an element rng there but in the later games if you had magic they were toast so it didn't it it didn't matter so much Mm. but i mean that's yeah. one of the more challenging. The, the red armors for me,
1: plus better weapons to uh, exactly, yeah, to, to exactly. terrorize them with.
2: Exactly, yeah, and like I say, they're, they're for me. Like, if you can get, if you can get your, your kind of, you'll never get them down because in terms of, I was going to say, if you can get your red armor patterns down, because there is an element of RNG to it. But if you can familiarize yourself with the more common things that they do, they do become easier to try and get a couple yeah. of hits on. But there is always that chance that you could run in, do everything right and die.
3: Mm.
1: And there are certain sections in the game where it's easier to fight them than others, yeah, it also depends on where you are uh you know in what type of
2: situation you are
0: in uh in the level exactly yeah, and it really starts to chuck them at you in the later stages as well whereas the first time you see one, you're like, yeah. That's that's like a mini boss and exactly, then yeah. towards the end of the game it's like here's a another three coming. Yeah, he's out four of them. <laughs> treat four. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing I wanted to comment on this um this element of control and as i say how we are very much used to having characters for a long long time now that you can uh, i've joked before about things we used to call the uh, the jump where you can turn yourself around in in midair call it the Quirker of or the curly muffin or um all these things which are basically not pop uh, possible in real life arthur actually has a a relatively realistic jump now i'm not saying that realism is always what you want in a game where you're a knight running around in his underpants uh, shooting zombies but is there some is there some merit in the fact that actually when you jump you're committed to a jump and yeah. you have yeah. to actually you know that's part of the system of the game is that you're you're you you aren't able to pretty much you know bend the laws of physics
1: if you play this game seriously, then jumping becomes a very calculated thing. You have to calculate in it in before you hit the jump button, uh, like make some sort of calculation <laughs> and and sure. uh, an, an, anal- an uh, analysis of the situation around you. Uh, one thing I, uh, that uh, I wanted to point out though is that you can actually turn around in midair, but it doesn't change the arc of your jump. But you yes, can right. jump forward, turn around, and shoot, shoot things behind you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely vital. Yeah, it's a very good yeah. point. And something that a lot of games of the era were missing in that not only would you be committed to a jump and the direction you were facing, you wouldn't be able to do anything to defend yourself once you're in that jump. It would also, compared to the pace of Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, sorry, Ghosts and Goblins, it would also be much, much slower if you were playing, you know, many home games and Including probably uh, home versions of Ghosts and Goblins, that you you know leaving the ground and flying through the air was often quite a slow, treacly process. And knowing, seeing for like a good two seconds that you were definitely going to die before you died made some games like really atrociously frustrating. Whereas here, I still find that the game is quite, despite all these difficulties and restrictions, I still find the game quite compelling and quite Moorish. Um, Mm. And yeah, that's that's really what I'm I'm trying to get my head around, um, because I feel like in some ways I should this game should have been completely relegated to irrelevance and having been completely, you know, turned into uh, an anachronistic, uh, interesting historical curio. But actually, when I play it, I enjoy it despite it, despite itself almost. Um, Yeah. And I I still haven't uh, as we're recording the show, I still haven't fully understood why it does so many things that I find really frustrating about video games. Yeah, horrendous. And it, and yeah, and it's really unfair and it's mean and it's mean-spirited and it's cheaty and it's, yeah. But, um, and again, these are a lot of things that people will say about uh, modern hard games, things like the Souls series, but actually there's way more mitigations. <laughs> of course that, there can, is, yeah. Can, we should talk about the weapons, um So we've already mentioned that you start with a lance, which uh, you can actually beat most of the game with it if you stick with it, yeah. uh, I believe. But generally what you want is to upgrade to the dagger, right? Yeah. For the most yeah. part. Does it actually move slightly faster through the air as well? As it moves game? a little
2: faster. In, yeah. And yeah. you can have three, three on the screen at once, which is a bigger uh, which is a big deal, especially like you say, when you're in those situations with kind of the ogre guys who are coming forward towards you. Having yeah. an extra, because they all they all do the, they both do the same amount of damage as a stock amount of damage to enemies. Um, so you've essentially yeah. got a faster weapon that you can have more mm-hmm. over the screen, so you can clear stuff off a lot quicker.
1: I think it actually does less damage than the lance, very right? slightly, yeah, on slightly f- le- less damage.
2: Oh, you might be right actually. On thing on um, ghouls and ghosts and super ghouls and ghosts, they all do the same. Um, but it's has right. fire and right. reach a key. So maybe on Ghosts and Goblins it, does it. Mm. it doesn't it does do as much then.
1: Trouble with the lances, if you miss, you're more prone to be open to uh, yeah. any yeah. sort of nastiness. So the dagger is definitely the way to go almost through the whole game, yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll come back to the torch. Uh, the axe is arguably a bit of a troll weapon. There may be some useful moments for it, but generally... Do you is there a point where you would actually choose to have the axe? It, uh, it throws in an arc listener for those who don't yeah. know. Um, so it's just it just means that you have to kind of size everything up a bit more. Yeah, um, it doesn't really offer. I, I I guess it probably does more damage, but yeah, it's just way less useful. I think yeah, it's the, the wrong kind of
2: game to have a, a a weapon that you need some kind of contemplation period to use. Really, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I really find that like if I accidentally get that, I'm like. I, uh, you might as well start again at that point. Right. Uh, that that, that, that bad, thing huh? with runs. I'm like, no, I don't need this. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Well, if you think that, then probably I think actually maybe uh, again another iconic element of Ghosts and Goblins is the torch weapon. <laughs> yeah. Um, because <laughs> it it desperately wants you to collect it by mistake, doesn't it? It's hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It it's absolutely. How,
1: how about getting hit by an enemy and falling on the torch that you just jumped over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the
1: funny thing is with
2: the torch, yeah. there's a few, there's a few bosses that are actually a tiny bit easier with it.
0: Sure, because um, it does the, multiple hits on. Yeah, one, well, not, yeah. not
2: just that. Like, um, it it fires on a slightly upward arc. If you watch, like, um, like the dagger and the lance, obviously, just go straight forward. Whereas with the torch, it goes slightly up and over. So when you're mm-hmm. fighting the uh, dragon boss that you see at the end of level three, and there's two at the end of level four, um, when they're flying above you um if you fire the torch you can hit them as they kind of come down without having to jump and hit the tail so like it's it's, right it's not bad the torch isn't bad for that it's very that's an incredibly (laughs) yeah that's incredibly an incredibly specific situation that you've got to kind of fight your way through a tough level with what is a lot of the time a a very kind of a A a very unsuitable exactly a very unsuitable uh, weapon
0: The the funny
1: thing is that the torch and the axe can be handy in situational uses, but you can't depend on getting the right weapon afterwards that you need to, you know, you might be holding on too long for them. So I think the real culprit here is the weapon system. Basically, you know, when you pick up a weapon, it replaces the weapon you were holding before.
0: And you keep it when you die. That's one of the really unusual elements of this game. A
1: blessing and a curse uh, all in the same way. Completely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: and the the order in which items are dropped uh, is not random. Uh, so, uh, I mean, what actually spawns items or where they spawn, I think there's an element of randomness, but it always goes uh, doll item, uh, weapon, doll accessory, doll weapon, doll, and then that cycle repeats. So the dolls are a just six different uh, collectible. Flashing things which give you two hundred or four hundred points. The accessories are uh, like a necklace and a ring and a shoe and a dress and some some more bloomers um, and a crown, yeah. which go up from two hundred to five thousand points. Um, you know, because obviously you're playing this game for high scores rather than just trying to get to the end of the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there's some fixed uh, item appearances. Uh, there's uh, like a uh, it's like a coin or a dish. Uh, I think it's meant to be a coin. There's a money bag, which is one of the only collectible items which isn't flashing. I don't know why. Um, then there's a rarer item, which is a king doll, which is worth 10,000 points. Uh, you can occasionally get a set of armor in certain uh, certain situations, uh, which becomes more of a feature in the sequels. And yeah. being a Capcom game from the era, there is also the hidden uh, yashichi, uh, which is the sort of pinwheel um, which is worth also worth 10,000 points.
1: And uh what a lot of people miss is that the the wizard is actually also in this game.
0: Yeah. Uh I I heard a very that. secret location. I yeah. think it's
1: a third gravestone on the graveyard where if you start keep hitting it with your weapon, he will appear and turn you into a frog. Yeah, It's a frog,
2: right? Yeah. 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 And with, with so the weird. higher points here, denominations like they are they are kind of worth collecting because you get extra lives at yeah. 30. Is it 30, 60 and set 30? 60 and then every 70 or so. it's something in that neighborhood anyway. Yeah.
1: probably depending on the settings of the yeah exactly
2: yeah, exactly yeah so. but i mean yeah. that that's a uh, th- that's always something to it uh, always mm. something to kind of uh, look out for in those games
0: that's true yeah because
2: there's i don't think there's there's no other way to get extra lives there's like no no, no th- there's no one-ups and obviously as well like there's the option to uh and something that becomes much more prevalent in the later games is uh is secret items with kind of trigger points in terms of like yeah. uh if you're on the first if you're on the first level if you kill the armor um and you've lost your armor if you time your jump off the platform it, yeah. onto the uh, the first bit of grass then a suit of armor spawns for you yeah. um which is kind of uh, handy and and, uh, it's and good kind of quite, good knowledge to have yeah, but I only yeah, learned 100%. this in
0: 2018 you know it's ridiculous exactly <laughs> Exactly. Yeah.
2: Play, playing the later games is basically—I would it's, it's not say it's—it's not un, undoable without knowing a, a lot about the hidden chests, but the the later games rely, uh, as these do, on uh, that that pattern of do you know what I mean, like wizard item and and so forth, and in yeah, in the yeah. kind of exploiting uh, it, yeah, exactly. Especially in Ghouls and Ghosts, there's there's sections where you can spawn four or five chests in one kind of uh, in one kind of subsection, <laughs> which will in, in essence allow you to go from no armor to gold armor. In kind of one yeah. section, which is which always makes a massive difference.
0: It feels like a yeah, a, a wizard frenzy in the sequels compared yeah, to, yeah, oh, there's loads game. in there, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, um, this is also a game, and this was probably about this was probably mainly the case for games that I remember playing in the first half of the 80s was that you can't jump onto a ladder, you have to be at the bottom of the ladder to climb, yeah, the ladder. yeah. Um, and I think that was very normal back in, yeah, mm. the sort of early 8 bit days. It's something that. Uh, kind of got yeah we kind of went beyond for the most part although certain games retain it because it's a core part of the gameplay i think something like load runner for instance would absolutely mandate that you have to be standing oh i could be wrong about that but um i certainly have memories of games being incredibly pernickety about exactly standing you know pixel flush to the ladder this isn't quite that bad it's pretty easy to get onto the ladder but as you say if the weapon you don't want has spawned at the bottom of the ladder that you have to go up. You're getting it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. being able to jump and go up a ladder in games like like uh, of this genre is such an advantage. Um, and to, to not kind of have that as a yeah, it's it's, it's an absolute nightmare. I remember doing a, a run on a Green Beret, and uh, that's oh, yeah. it's, it's essential that you yes, need to be yeah. able to jump up ladders halfway up, get up, and then duck straight away. Like yeah. without that, it, you'd be absolute toast. But yeah, with the with it and obviously a good point there you'd be able to not collect the weapon that you don't want the the weapon you've spent the entire game avoiding
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I still remember how freeing it felt when games started to actually you know like Green Beret actually allowed you to it felt you know it really added a sense of uh, you know momentum and locomotion that games that make you stop and attach yourself to a ladder before climbing up don't have. so uh, the other weapon has to be mentioned Uh, it is In the original Japanese version, it is a cross in the way that many of these games like Castlevania and plenty of others that we've talked about over the years have fairly straightforward Christian religious iconography um, in order to avoid that. Uh, In localized versions to the West, it was made into a slightly less uh, overt shield shape. Um, It makes more sense that you're throwing a cross at the devil, um, but there Mm. you go. It's it's a shield. It works the same way. So it's a pretty short range weapon, um, Mm. but it's quite rapid, therefore, and it blocks projectiles. So it's again, it's like everything in this game. Uh, It's uh, it's got a it's got a blessing to it and also a curse, but you need it if you don't have it at the end of the second run. You've got to do the last level again (laughs) and get it. Basically,
1: even at the at the end of the first run, you needed to uh, be able to defeat Astaroth. You're uh, quite right. uh, Even
0: even to even to kill even on
1: your first run, it will send you back to the beginning of stage five if you don't have the uh, the shield. That's right. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I'd forgotten. It's brutal.
1: The shield of the or the cross would be the, probably the best weapon in the game if it weren't for its short range. Yeah, yeah. Because it makes certain enemies a lot easier to deal with, like the Aramers, for example. You can play it much more defensively against them, and just you know their their projectiles stop becoming a fa- a factor at that point.
2: And I think that the other thing with with this, as compared to the weapons you get later in the series, is that the weapon that you need to beat the game, like that this being that, and then the, the next one, it's the the goddess bracelet and the psycho cannon and all the rest of it. On the later games. They made those weapons to compensate for the range deficit massively more powerful. So, like, if you play if you play Ghouls and Ghosts, when you actually get, you can do, you can get the um, the psycho cannon, which is the weapon that you want on any level of the second loop on Ghouls and Ghosts, (laughs) and it's and if you can get past the fact that the range is shorter, it's so much more powerful than anything else. Like, you can take bosses out in seconds. Like, it's a, it's a really, really good weapon. And they kind of balance that a little bit because I think that's what I felt was missing from using the shield. I'm like, okay, I've got this weapon. The firing rate's all right. I've got to be really up close to use it. It takes out projectiles, yeah. which is a nice bonus when it happens. But there isn't that bit of extra power, which I think would compensate. And mm. I think that's why the, the weapon's in. The, the The shield seems like one of those things that kind of you have to use. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like, yeah yeah, 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 It's just, it's just something you have to kind of take with you. And the, the, and whereas in the later games, the uh, the the weapon, the game-breaking end of end of game, finish the game weapon, are actually legitimate choices to uh, over yeah. over establish weapons. Um and, and I- in Ghouls and Ghosts specifically, there's there's situations where the psycho cannon's way better than anything else. I don't feel that with the with the uh, shield, and that that for me is the year. Uh, it's one of those things you've kind of begrudgingly got to get good at. Do you know what I mean? If you want I to watch. Actu- so. I
1: actually was not that mad at the shield uh, in many situations. And I also started outrunning a lot of stuff in the later levels. Mm. Uh, so I've er- just I used it on anything that came too close for, for comfort uh, to me. Uh, but there are two enemies that are a nightmare to deal with with the shields one are the big men, because uh, you need to make them come way too close. Yep. So you really need to start hammering when they are in, in range of your shield and the other is the the dragon boss that appears as a regular enemy in the final stage yeah um because yeah it takes ages to take him out and there's way too much that can go wrong and you, the 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 most effective way to deal with attacking the the dragon with the shield was just to basically stalk it just stay on top of it all yeah. the time and stalk stalk it around the screen yeah. and yeah. sort of follow it follow it around uh all the time
0: and just not give it too much space to do anything crazy. What I find quite funny and, and interesting is, I don't know there's any number of examples of things following this path in both directions, but I was just remembering how when we covered R-Type and R-Type 2 in one show, we talked about how R-Type was a really hard game, but people beat it, so they made R-Type 2 insanely difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> And in it sounds like, uh, and obviously I've got a lot more playing of games in this series to do, it sounds like they actually realised that the original Ghosts and Goblins was so mean that they actually, you know, sort of mitigated uh, and, and sort of actually softened the edges a little bit for the sequels, even though there's still some really, you know, tough games there. Um, it sounds like, particularly from what you're saying, Ben, that actually the philosophy kind of moved away ever so slightly from the completely, you know, just nasty.
2: <laughs> yeah. Th- this is the toughest one. There's no there's no debate for that for me. Yeah. Like yeah. of those of those, if you're talking about those three games, this is by far the hardest one.
0: Mm. Yeah. I've actually on the show notes, uh, I've sort of separated out enemies and levels, but actually they're kind of this in this game they're incredibly intertwined, aren't they? I know they sort yeah. of always are, but here the locations and the layouts of the levels are absolutely. It's it's hard to explain why if you haven't played it, but it's it's to do everything's positioning is very deliberate, generally to be as annoying as possible, but actually what I found when I started improving at the game was that there are some quite lengthy sections where you don't even have to do that much. Mm-hmm. Like there, I mean, I say lengthy, I mean, they're probably not, but relatively lengthy. There are moments where you can pretty much just kind of push on forward and you know that you start to know that certain enemies will appear but they won't trouble you if you just keep on going or if you yeah. angle your jump in a certain way. But Overall, the game has, uh, what, about uh, nine or ten different enemy types. Um, And some of them you hardly ever see, or some of them... involved heavily at the start like the zombies which again i would say the the zombies pushing their way out of the earth at the beginning of ghosts and goblins is is kind of an again an iconic video gaming yeah, moment massively. but really it's very brief isn't it it's like that's mm. um they may are there are other moments later in the game maybe but it, they,
1: it, they appear in the caves again yeah. yeah i think the caves actually is the first part and that's the the third stage where there are still enemies that are specific to the caves, mm. like those weird cone rocks with like the faces that spit out bowling yeah. balls. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and the bats, there are, there are bats in there as well. Yeah. Uh, but up until the caves, enemies seem very much tied to specific sections of uh, the stages. That's right. right. Like the zombies appear from the dirt in the graveyard. Uh, then the the forest spirits the the flying condoms uh, appear in the forest section before Mm. that the the flying armors uh, that only appear in that specific section yeah and then in the uh, the town you got the first section where the little blue uh, demons uh, appear the little uh you know, Dancy star-shaped uh, cool. things, Yeah. and they they come out come out of the houses. Then there's the house section where the petite devils, the per- little purple guys, yep. who look quite comical with their little red capes, uh, oh, so dive yeah. bomb you from uh, the houses. And then there's the infamous first real showstopper i think the uh, the house where the where, where the big man uh, yeah, stomp yeah. around that's in. what
0: i meant earlier when i said unicorn i got the yes the big man yeah is the man
1: the big man exactly and then there's the final section with the ravens again that appear first but that those those two stages really have the the, the enemies are thematically yeah. themed to the various sections i mm. feel and after that, uh, the caves they, they start uh, recycling some enemies. Yeah. And after that, it's pretty much like okay, boss let's rush. throw ev- throw boss rushes and yeah. let's throw every enemy that appeared in the game so far and some new ones in there. But let's ro- ro- keep rotating enemies uh, types.
0: Mm. Ben, so you you're saying five credits is your best run so far? Where yeah. what are the what are the sticking points for you, or is it different ones each time? Yeah, because that's it's the problem. So like random. That,
2: yeah, when I'm looking at like. With with a lot of stuff that I do, if I'm trying to get a, a good rundown, like I, I'll I, I've never had a game like this that I've got I've had so many save states for in terms of different points because I've died. At, at, there's no there's no bit where I'm like I'm safe here. It never no. feels like that. level three. Um, the aramor that you get when you're jumping up those platforms is an absolute nightmare, and accidentally triggering that aramor on the way down as well. Is another nightmare. the The problem is as well. You talk about like you do get a bit of a low level. Level fours like him, um, manageable. Yeah, but five and six are ridiculous. Um, yeah, and that's that's <laughs> the thing. Like it ramps straight back up again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You have literally yeah, just yeah. got one level to, to kind of a uh, sort of get. It's still not. It's not a walk in the park. It's just easy comparatively speaking. But the thing with with five and specifically six as well is that there's just so much stuff going on at once, mm. and mm. that and. Coupled with the fact that you have to get a specific weapon, and like it's basically all the bosses as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It's yeah. I, I honestly say like of the of the, I can normally get to halfway through level five first run on one credit, and then it just starts going to pieces. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I've made it to six on one credit a couple of times, but yeah, it's <sighs> that that's where the sticking point is for me. I think I think it would take a lot of very specific progress running to kind of uh it's not to say that i'm not going to do it because i probably am going to do it but uh yeah yeah i, I can i envisage a lot of uh, a lot of misery ahead trying, trying to get it done i reckon
1: you know a lot, i've heard a lot of people say they can't even clear the first stage yeah. yeah but if you if you get through um through to level level uh two that house is crazy yeah. and you you the the big men that stomp around uh first of all they throw maces at you from uh, uh above you yeah mm. and the funny thing is in the NES version it always looked like they were sitting down to take a dump yeah (laughs) started started, started pooping
0: down (laughs) they should have done that
1: (laughs) and um, they have the annoying habit of being quite random you can sort of lure them away from ladders but it doesn't always work Uh, above you they sort of turn on a dime sometimes and just keep patrolling a ladder effectively stopping you from from progressing And 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 you know and you you start getting this uh these sweaty palms when you start looking at the timer uh, running down oh, yeah. because that's another factor of yes. course you can't just take your time through this game you're being hurried along by a relatively tight yeah, time yeah, yeah tight yeah. timer Straight, yeah, yeah yeah if you get on the same level as these uh these big guys hmm. they start rushing towards yep. you and if you can don't keep hitting them they even start throwing uh, mesas, uh horizontally at you which will happen if you catch Two of them at the same time, rushing you from both sides, or uh, yeah. w- when you're dealing with another enemies, because ravens keep on popping up there as well.
0: Yeah, you can't break their animation. Sufficiently. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> the la- I've always found that coming down is even trickier because there are these very small sections in that house where these the big men are patrolling. Uh, but I always sort of outrun the last one. I, the last two, yeah. I I don't even try to, yes. to fight them. I just uh, rush rush past them. And the rest of the level isn't that difficult with the uh, with the uh, up and down moving uh, moving
0: platforms. If you no, want to you know what you're doing, no, surprisingly comfortable bit of platforming there. Yeah, yeah.
1: You actually shouldn't shouldn't really jump there. You just should walk from one to yeah. the next one yeah. uh, if you want to play it safe. Yes, yeah. Then the caves. The first section is all right. Second section took me a long time to get it down, but would you? What I felt like you should do, maybe Ben you can chime in on this with your tactics, is that you actually only have to fight two Red Aramers yeah. in that section, which yeah. is the first one, which you can easily deal with once you sort of avoid him at first, and then he starts clipping through the walls, and you sort of can get him get him into a sort of loop where you can hit, hit him quite reliably, and he can't do much yeah. uh, to you, and then the next one you just have to sort of outrun, and Go via the top of the stage. Uh, yeah, on that if you climb double all the way to you, the top.
2: Yeah, if you double back on yourself on that bit when you when when you jump to the left and go up round that way, there's a suit of armor up there as well. Yeah. Um, so like there is quite a bit of uh, there is quite a bit yeah. a bit of stuff there. When, but when you do the jump all the way down to get to the bit, the start of the bit where the dragon is, it's very easy yeah. to trigger that armor by mistake.
1: Yeah, exactly. You need to you need to uh, really measure the jump before you take it, and then the the armor that's uh, that's down there you need to kill otherwise he's gonna make your life a living hell while you fight the dragon boss yeah once you got that tactic figured out the stage is uh is manageable i think just shining through all of this the the real challenge that's in the game is just how random enemy patterns are there, yeah. are, there are they're they're not completely random of no. course they're governed by certain rules but it's just completely random in how they how the patterns are organized, I guess, mm-hmm. in what what they do. And their the flight patterns, especially yeah. the flying enemies, are a nightmare. Yes. This can work both ways. You can get completely screwed over by the randomization. Or you can find like a moment, and this yeah. is where the luck comes in that we spoke about watching those other runs. You can find a moment where you're sure you're going to lose your armor. You're sure you're going to die. Like, and a flying enemy is coming straight for you then on a complete whim, it seems, it just <laughs> decides to change its pattern and fly away from you. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a thing that, uh, it's it's no coincidence that, uh, or, or it's no surprise that this game was developed by the same developer in tandem with Senju no Okami or Commando. Yeah. Because that has exactly the same enemy behavior in there where <laughs> yeah. enemies are rushing you and then all of a sudden turn around and yeah. run away from you. Exactly. And, and the and the, the ex, exact same crux to where it all comes down in the difficult department is there as well, that your guy is just not... You know, randomization of enemy behavior is actually kind of great, but your guy is just not equipped to deal with this no, exactly. uh, situation reliably. That goes for a Commando as well as uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah. In Commando, you have a pretty puny weapon and you can shoot it only in the w- direction that you're facing. And in Ghosts and Goblins, you've got this really rigid movement, which there is no room for correction once you lift up for your jump. So uh, lift up uh, from your from your jump. Enemies are are li- or, or weapons are limited in their uh, use, very limited. So, yeah, it's just just this very unfortunate combination of elements that makes <laughs> the game so as hellish, hellish as it is.
0: And yet, both this and uh, Commando or Wolf of the Battlefield were kind of instantly regarded as classics and are still yeah. very fondly remembered. So what is the what is Fujiwara's secret sauce, I wonder? Is there a bit is there an element of the the sort of the gambler the whatever it is that lures people to keep putting money down? It's that that sort of um gambler's fallacy or whatever that when you when you restart each time Ben going for a one credit you're thinking maybe i'll get lucky enough times in a row yeah is it like that
2: <laughs> sort of you have to like i don't know you you could physically couldn't do it like if, if i didn't think I, if i didn't think that a clear was kind of doable and there's loads of games that i've looked at and uh gone on myself there's no way i could do that yeah there's, there's games where it's where like i say it's
0: and this hasn't fallen in that category yet no not
2: yet like um i i do feel i could probably do this on one credit i think it'd take a titanic effort but i don't know that's that's the whole point right Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the thing with this is that and and with, with this series in general is I hon- I honestly think that I, d- I don't know like specifically where, beating kind of the, the other two games in this like I can't express kind of uh, just the the ridiculous emotions I got after beating those games as, yep. as, uh-huh. as corny as that sounds, it's it's no, really no. true. It's so like you're a, looking for the next high, exactly. exactly yeah, we <laughs> about this. One's this, gonna be, didn't we? this one's yeah. going to be the biggest yeah. one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> unbelievably, I can't imagine yeah. what would happen. Maybe it's summer... not
0: quite such a pure high though. This is like your uh, your street heroin that's yeah, been that's slow. It. Yeah, because this, it's this is cut it... with all sorts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I honestly think with with me. I think if I got one loop on one credit, I think I could do it. That's that's That was the tipping point with Ghouls and Ghosts and Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Because like, right. yeah. it's the same thing, right? Just a bit more difficult. I just think to myself, yeah, I could do that. And that's and from
1: what I've seen, loop two is not that much more difficult no. than the first loop. It's no. just like you have to do it again. I think uh, what I've seen is that ex- uh, enemies actually move a bit faster. So that's... Yeah, and I think that some can of them be spawn tricky. a
2: little bit differently. I think um, yeah. as well, Like you, you, you're liable to get more spawns in certain points um yeah. but that's the problem in some ways i hope i don't I, as stupid as that's as defeatist as that sounds in some ways i hope i don't do uh the first loop on one credit because if i do then i'm probably gonna have to do it like i'll just mm. that'll be it then it'll be in the back of my head uh, it'll be like with well, yeah. the next one do you know what i mean when i got a one credit and i was just like you could probably know death this and then that's how it starts do you, you know what I mean? possessed yeah next thing you know it's 4 a.m and you're gonna go to work in
0: three hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, again, on the subject of um, this, uh, we've mentioned it already, the sort of the the element of humour inherent in Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, there was actually a piece written by uh, Anthony John Agnello, I think, from uh, the AV Club, uh, where we fe- featured ourselves a few years ago, which was very nice. Uh, this was written for April 2017, and it's called How Ghosts and Goblins Helped Video Games Find Comedy in Failure. And uh, the author says acclimate to the rhythm of ghosts and goblins and you start to notice that it's not just pummeling you in the interest of elongating the game unlike in double dragon another game of the same vintage where your character will literally become trapped in the environment while greasy thugs beat you ghosts and goblins isn't using difficulty to just bilk you out of more money or keep you from beating the game too quickly it's trying to do those things but it's also trying to make you laugh Everything about Arthur is telling you not to take things too seriously. Yes, he's surrounded by monsters as he runs through a graveyard full of leering trees, but the goofball runs with an elongated stride straight out of Monty Python's Ministry of Silly Walks. When he's hurt, a life bar doesn't go down, he's left standing there in his underpants. When he's put down for good, he's thrown backward and crumples into a musical pile of bones. Everything about him feels like failing bravado. He's a goof, a cad, the guy falling down. But the slapstick is only one part of Ghosts and Goblins recipe. What makes its comedy so distinct is that it's not just showing you failure, it's relying on you to instigate it, to be the target. The game thrives by putting you down at the exact moment you succeed, snatching the chip right out of your hand. The classic Ghosts and Goblins bit goes like this, go through a stage and you'll inevitably run into an obstacle you can't get past on the first try. But on the other side of that roadblock, waiting for your glorious moment of victory over the last seemingly impossible obstacle is another one you have to deal with immediately, a proverbial rug ready to get pulled out from under you the moment you land. Fujiwara would haunt people playing early versions of the game to get the timing right. If the players that tried the game tended not to get stuck at a certain point, I'd have to hurry back to the company and redo that portion. He said in a 2009 interview I couldn't let them get by so easily there are tricks you can use to avoid dying right once I figured out what they were I'd quickly thwart players who attempted to use them you'll have to forgive me unbelievable <laughs> I would drop
2: him in a heartbeat if I saw him now unbelievable <laughs>
1: The game is probably a lot more comedic when you don't have to invest coin into <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not really laughing that much once you're uh, playing it in the arcade and uh, have to spend your money on it.
2: It's a risk, like gambling, though, really, on your kind of your your kind of potential punters' custom on that extreme levels of difficulty. If you want to get mm-hmm. the most out of your machine, you do one or two things: you either make it better or make it harder. And if you make mm-hmm. it better, then fantastic because everybody's going to want to play it and that's what like street fighter did to street fighter 2 street fighter 2 is infinitesimally better and it was a uh, revolutionary and everyone wanted to play it you run the risk of especially in in an arcade marketplace that you had then when there was so many machines that you could play the game mm-hmm. that was just got a reputation as being too difficult people mm-hmm. would say i yeah. wouldn't bother playing that there's no point do you know what I mean Yeah. come have a game of something else <laughs> like let's just pretend this never happened
0: but i guess it did all right for him
2: yeah, yeah that's it
0: yeah, so checkpoints uh, we haven't even mentioned really, but uh, all the levels up until the last one do have a checkpoint, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one checkpoint, just the one. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, it's usually
1: yeah. like a clear separation, sort of, yeah. uh, for, uh, yeah, with the with the level theme. Yeah, they're the very distinctly segmented. Yeah. yeah,
0: but yes, it is worth saying. Depending on which version or you know how you play this. Uh, you'll be playing a different variation. There are actually seven different ROM sets of Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, I'm not sure which one they released on the Wii Virtual Console. I'm not sure exactly which one it is on uh, the Capcom Arcade Cabinet Collection. But obviously, if you go to Mame, you can you download the 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 base chipset ROM, and then you can play any variation uh, yeah. there on. Obviously.
1: The Wii Virtual uh, Console version that I've been playing, I've been looking into uh, the descriptions and it appears that it's the latest revision. uh, The final revision. Yeah. Final revision because uh, the final stage does have only one unicorn on that first uh, floor. Funnily enough, though, there are... Under the section after the dragon, every floor has two big men on each side, which is also a nightmare (laughs) to deal with. Right. So you have to lure one away... (laughs) And then take the other one down and then meet the the other one if you can just straight outrun them
0: yeah yes there's a huh. uh, there's a handy grid uh, over on the cutting room floor.net. Uh, which actually lists out the Japan, A, C and G ROMs, the US ROM and the three world ROMs and actually gives you a handy grid of uh, what elements you can come across. Some of them are just to do with the actual features of the ROM, so the debug switch and the ROM RAM check and stuff like that. But the key thing that you need to look at if you're actually going to try to take on this game, um, uh, (laughs) I uh, I don't know if you looked into this, Ben, or whether you've been tackling one of the harder versions. (laughs) Maybe maybe, Maybe you could give yourself a better chance by looking at um, the ROM that has fewer unicorns Um, the ladder ladder skeleton near or far is one of the ROM differences
1: the ladder skeleton is also further away in that uh, version that I've been playing
0: and the final difference between the versions is that 3 of the ROMs the the stage 6 boss has 8 hit points but on 4 of the ROMs 4 hit points
2: Interesting. Mm. Yeah.
0: So they obviously, yeah, even after the game was, you know, out there and finished, they were still they were still tweaking. And uh yeah, there's the, you can see on the the final climb up the sort of, yeah, like the the boss rush or the yeah, the or the bit with the four red aramas and the Japanese rom, I should say it's four red aramas and on the other it's 3. Yeah, so yeah, Uh, there's all you find
2: that with the Japanese roms of a lot of the ones on the series, or this series especially. Like um, the American rom of the uh, sequel has got multiple restart points. Um, Right. Whereas the whereas the Japanese one is just like with proper. Yeah, it's just got one in the middle. Uh, And and bosses take more hits and there's a lot of kind of, uh, there's a lot of stuff like that.
0: But it's fascinating from the point of view of a, uh, you know, a a video game historian and just somebody who's interested in the, because like all these seemingly quite minor tweaks make a massive amount of difference. And Mm. the fact that when we talk about, you know, you could just talk about Ghosts and Goblins and you'd be talking about a game, but you're actually talking about sort of seven or eight different versions. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. It goes like you said in so many times on this, though. Like it goes back to, and and each one of those versions would have had dip switches as well that you could set yeah. for, for whatever way. So the permutations of a
0: yes, like you, you say about, true. oh,
2: I don't know what, I don't know if I go to a new arcade, it yeah. might not just be, oh, they've got a go and Goblin's machine, they might More have a lives, different version lives. set up. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And you'd, yep. you'd yeah. know if you played a lot of arcades as we all did around about that time, you'd know of two or three arcades in a certain mm. town that all have the same machine, but you'd go, no, nah, I'll play max as we always it's a great example I'll play gold max and that okay because I get three lives and more energy
0: yep.
1: yeah <laughs> you know modern modern day revisions uh, aka patches yeah you know they in in most cases they'll just overwrite the previous yes. versions so the previous versions are no longer really accessible exactly uh,
0: mm. yeah yeah it's true of fighting game balancing patches and all that sort of thing yeah yeah interesting
1: that's why I like certain fighting games that uh, allow you to go back to earlier revisions
0: yeah indeed yes and yeah. uh, and you know if any uh, emulation studios listen to the Cane and rinse podcast we know some developers out there do please include as many ROM variations on your official releases as possible regional and uh, and just yeah uh, iterations uh, it means a lot to us. Yeah. Talking about versions, uh, I do want to touch on the home versions uh, because they were, yeah, as I say, they were at least as big a deal in some ways and we also received more correspondence about them which I was sort of expecting and so it came to pass. So the first home version was that Famicom version. came out in June 1986. The NES North American version came out in November 1986. It was developed by Micronics. I don't know anything about Micronics. This version also served as the basis for the later Game Boy Color Conversion, uh, but that added a password level select. Uh, yeah. Both the NES and arcade versions were re released for the Wii Virtual Console, as we know, because McEel's played it. That was December 2007, but also 3DS uh, in 2012 and Wii U 2013. Joe 81 says sometime around 1988 or 1989, when I was seven to eight years old, I first started becoming aware of video games and soon started spending most of my free time with them. In order to play, I had to go to my best friend's house who had an NES with a collection of games that contained many of what I now consider to be my all time favorites. Metroid, Super Mario Brothers 2, Zelda 2, Mega Man 2 and one game which I was particularly intrigued, Ghosts and Goblins. I remember being frightened by the monsters on the cover and that any time I asked my friend to play it he would say no and say that it was too hard or just not fun so I was left to my own imagination as to what the actual gameplay was like based on screenshots etc. I never played that copy of Ghosts and Goblins but in the summer of 1991 I managed to get a hold of a copy of my own from another friend and began a period of Sisyphean futility where I attempted to beat the seemingly unbeatable. I failed of course and moved on to other things What else could a 10 year old do when confronted with this game? My friend was right, Ghosts and Goblins was too hard. However, unlike my friend, I enjoyed every second of it and spent way too many hours that summer trying to beat it but never making it past the first parts of the third level. The second level is unreasonably difficult in my opinion. I recently bought this on my 3DS virtual console and found that I still really, really love this game. I find the constant state of danger of the player is in to still be every bit as butt-clenching as it ever was, the music, art and sounds to still be absolutely stellar examples of the best the genre has to offer. And yes, I still find this game to be just as soul-crushingly difficult, good game, Capcom.
1: It's kind of telling that uh, the NES version of uh, Ghosts and Goblins was not created in-house by Capcom Mm. since it's uh, it's remarkably less apt than later uh, games that would... uh, Right. Appear under their label on the NES.
0: I see. But it's still relatively faithful, isn't it, compared to probably say the yeah. ports we're about to talk about. Which
1: Yeah, it's it's just a, it's just a little bit shaky, uh, I guess. It feels more
2: doable. I've I've run through it a couple of yeah. times. I reckon I could do that. It but is um, easier yeah. by yeah. yeah by most people. I've already working. taught myself out of doing it though. I'm like you done know, <laughs> it's fine. Like I've, mentally, I've already I've already tossed that one aside. It after yeah. It's just for the Fujiwara. simple fact
1: that the uh, the NES couldn't handle that much action on screen exactly. Well. So the, yeah. so they you know, it throws throws less at you
0: mm. than the arcade version does. So yes, I've as I say I've vivid memories of the home UK home computer ports in 1986 being a thing. Uh, I don't think many of my friends had actually paid for them. They were on copies of cassettes for their Amstrad CPCs and Commodore 64s and ZX Spectrums. There was also a Commodore 16 and Plus 4 version which only featured two levels or something like that. Um, I could definitely do that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably probably one sprite on screen. There you go. Yeah. Um According to a piece for The Register in October 2014, Giles Hill uh, wrote uh, entitled One Hard Gooley, says the Commodore 64 version took a few sidesteps from the original due to technical limitations, but actually emerged as a playable little game while Specky Ghosts and Goblins was basically crap. According to Giles Hill, the Atari ST and Amiga got quite close with the visuals, but gameplay was ultimately not quite there. Bizarrely, the Amiga effort only played music if your machine had one megabyte of RAM. Uh, Of course, by default, Amiga 500s had half a meg. Uh, While on the ST, music could be output through any MIDI, MIDI musical instrument you dared to plug in. Bizarre but amusing. Uh, so that version reviewed it was programmed by Chris Butler and uh, with music by Mark Cooksey, uh, different music, which was based on uh, Frederick Chopin's Prelude number no. 20. Um, but a lot of people remember it very fondly. Uh, it received a gold medal in the much loved Zap 64 magazine, 97 percent, 95 percent in the games machine. One little curiosity about it that makes it different is that you can't jump over a tombstone if you're right up against the tombstone. You have to take a pace backwards before jumping over.
1: Yeah, and it had that horrible uh, standard of, uh, in home computing, of course, of having to press up, up to, to jump. jump. Yes, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Single, single <laughs> button joysticks. Well, what could you do? It was uh, it was either that or a yeah or a space bar. Yeah. Third drawing from the forum says I have fond memories of playing this on the C64 with its distinctly different soundtrack. I'm sure the difficulty will be talked about during the podcast. I think we've covered that. And I always end up quitting out of frustration. I never managed to finish it, but I always loved the aesthetic and monster design. Even back then I was a horror fan and this felt like it was made for me much more than Mario. It was what kept me coming back again and again because I wanted to see what other horror elements the game had. About 2006 I was travelling in Japan and stumbled across a Capcom collection for the PlayStation 1. I was vaguely aware of the history of the game but had no idea there had been a collection. I had neither seen nor thought of the game in years and I immediately jumped at the chance for unbridled nostalgia. I began to doubt my memory because I was sure the music had been different, I was right, but it was a joy to come back to the game. The muscle memory came flooding back and while I did get further than I remember getting, I still haven't finished it. I'm still trying, though, and I still find myself humming the Commodore 64 music as I play. Spectrum version, despite uh, the above article quote suggesting it was crap, was also well received at the time. I remember my friends being into it. 90% in your Sinclair. Uh, Worth looking out for, though, to actual collectors of hardware. The Spectrum version does not load on Spanish plus 2A or plus 3 models, as their ROM mapping is slightly different from the UK models. An unofficial patch is available, however. How you do that, I have no idea. <laughs> but that is about as niche as we can possibly get here on Canary. I can't... Im-
2: that's as niche as you've ever done, surely? I can't yeah. think of, of a, a Spanish Spectrum patch trying to get hold of that. Yes, yeah. I, I have a copy of Fly Fishing by J.R. Harley as well. <laughs>
0: exactly. Thank you, Moby Games, for that uh, nugget. Uh, l- yeah. Lowest form of wit on the forum says, This is such an odd one. I have strong nostalgic feelings for this game, but I probably shouldn't as the experience is never very enjoyable. The game is too hard due to its coin-op roots. I remember playing a Spectrum Conversion on a rainy day when I was probably very young and the furthest I ever got was the Crystal Castles question mark section, maybe level 3. My memory is very fuzzy. It's such a laugh that to complete it, the game throws you back at the start. Maybe I was just too rubbish. Maybe I needed to get good. Iconic though. Always pick up the daggers. Avoid the firebomb power-up. Always.
1: As we said before, it was even among arcade games, it was ridiculously hard. Yeah.
0: Steve Norman from the forum says I bought this and London to Brighton steam train simulator Southern Bell for the ZX Spectrum at the same time. And suffice to say, Southern Bell didn't get a look in for a very long time. I think at the height of my expertise, I got to the first boss, a winged demon that bounced around at you. If I rem- remember correctly, uh, nope, that's not the first boss. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the that's the that's the mini boss. Funny thing, it's just an enemy. Yes, yeah, it is. A, yeah, there's yeah. loads of them. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing is, I never thought about about it being that difficult. Which retrospectively, I now know it to be notoriously so in the history of gaming. I was more than happy in that graveyard and never even considered there being more to the game than this. Uh, Much as you said, Ben, which ironically, there wasn't much more of on the spectrum. Just die and restart without too much frustration, which is one of the many qualities that makes this a classic of the 80s on any platform. A great conversion for the spectrum and one of my favourite games ever. The Amstrad version was put together by Nigel Alderton and Dan Hartley uh, with music by David Whittaker and graphics by Steve Pickford, who I'm pleased to say is a social media acquaintance of mine to this day, Uh, made a lot of or was involved with his brother uh John and a lot of uh, a lot of great eight bit and sixteen bit and beyond stuff actually. Uh the C s that C sixteen plus four version was programmed by Ray Tredu and uh, graphics by Rory Green. The C sixteen port is even shorter than the C sixty four version. It features only the two first levels with a simplified gameplay, one weapon and fewer enemy types. There's no music and no title screen. Beautiful. Yeah. That's sixteen K for you. <laughs> Yeah, there was a DOS PC version uh, Yeah, and a PC-88 different version in 1987. The 16-bit computer versions arrived quite late in 1990 for the Amiga and ST in the UK with Richard Frankish programming, David Percival on graphics and Mark Cooksey returning with the music. Uh, mentioned that Saturn uh, PS PS1 version, Capcom Generations Two Chronicles of Arthur, and was later bundled in that um, that European compilation that you had been the four disc extravaganza, yeah, uh, so the, which uh, allowed you to, if nothing else, get into the dip switches, but also had some art galleries and, and music player, as I recall.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of good extras on that.
0: Mm. The Bandai WonderSwan version is actually kind of a it's arguably a separate game. Um, it's a completely new or remixed version rather than a straight port, came out in 99, Arthur can swim outrageous wow Wow. <laughs> uh, Game Boy Color uh, got a fairly straight port of the NES version, was programmed in Japan in 1999 but stayed unreleased there, came out in the US in 2000 and Europe in 2001 there was a Windows Mobile version in 2002 according to this I don't even remember there being Windows Mobile in 2002 uh those fairly straight emulations came out again on ps2 and xbox as i said in 2005 capcom classics collection volume one backbone handled those as they did with the psp version for capcom classics collection reloaded Uh, sadly i don't think that's available as a download on the psn doesn't run on vita which is disappointing so m2's capcom arcade cabinet which i've already mentioned You can still get it on PS3, 360, Xbox One. And as I say, those assists kind of a bit like if you think about Forza Motorsport, the uh, on off options for assists. So you can tweak the collision detection, which is quite nice because the collision detection is very harsh by default. It gives you a bit of an overlap. Um, Your hitbox is is slightly removed from things. You can add more lives. You can have more time. You can make your shots more powerful. You can have uh, pots appearing more regularly. And you can even have armor appearing from pots when you're in your pants. You can get a longer invincibility uh, after being hit and the overall difficulty can be tweaked, uh, just notching the number of enemies down a bit. So yeah, with all those switched on, it's kind of it's quite a different experience. Um, but also, it is still absolutely at its core, ghosts and goblins. So yeah, really interesting way of allowing modern, impatient, time-stretched, unskilled gamers to experience the game. I think. Right. Yeah. And there's also a score attack mode in there, which turns everything back on. Uh, you know makes it proper proper hard uh, and has online leaderboards and all that other you know modern stuff has the unlockable art assets and the music player and you can earn a few achievements by being good as well there's also a training mode so you can just take it level by level that's all nice there's also an android ios version which came out as recently as march 2017 it features the classic and the casual modes costs £1.99 ninety nine. I had a look. There's not many reviews. Fewer positive ones. Um, It has big, fat on-screen touch controls, which Ugh. means it's an instant eh-eh from me. I've got no interest in playing it that way. Yeah, because uh, that's what this game it.
2: needed. Yeah, <laughs> worse
0: controls. Yeah, yeah. and for, for
1: if it's not challenging.
0: I mean. Yeah, and that's th- it. Yeah, need your thumbs in the way of everything exactly. you're doing as well. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> but there it is. I'd say get it on ps3 or 360 or xbox one if you want to play it or or just maim it uh bit of trivia the famous red arima mini boss is actually based on capcom programmer toshio arima um presumably Ah. presumably that means he's bright red and flies about erratically
2: follows Uh, everybody uh, around uh, all the time yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) And did you know in the cave on level 3 go to the upper level and move your character to the right of the rock just to the left of the second ladder move left and right shooting rapidly a zombie will keep appearing and you can score 100,000 points before the time runs out but you will also get two extra lives in the process
2: On another trivia note like uh, Ghosts and Goblins was also the game that featured in uh, Neighbours when the character Todd Landers had a video game addiction and uh, and, uh, he was a and the greatest thing was that they cured his video game addiction by uh, giving him loads of money so he could go and beat it properly. I mean, that's un- unrealistic, let's be honest. But um, I just love the fact that he had a video game <laughs> problem. And then Steph and Dennis bowled in, do you yeah. know what I mean, with more denim than like Billy Ray Cyrus's wedding awesome. and just chucked him a load of dollars and said, yeah, just play it till you- you- you've beaten it. That's, it's like you haven't got that, enough money, Steph. You really haven't.
0: <laughs> that's not how you. That's not how you cure an addiction. It
2: really um, isn't now. <laughs> so there's
0: so many things going through my head right now. Uh, Steph and Dennis's uh, hit single "Don't it Make Feel Good." There you go, beautiful. <laughs> and um, and also the fact that when they broke into uh, the school's computer to change their grades, to, again Todd Landers, who I think died in the end. You it um, by my van, yeah yeah um they uh they had a commodore sixty four which they used to break into a school's computer uh they had a quote modem attached to it which looked like a prop master had just used a serial packet or something <laughs> uh and they actually they went online and type break into school's computer amazing and, and it worked Hackerman anyway three word reviews from Twitter follow us at Rints.
2: Matt fantastic hard as balls.
0: Will Cross says, live, die, repeat. Joe81 says,
2: faster restarts, please. P. Somatic says, accursed red
0: arama. Futar Exercise says, constant wardrobe malfunction. And Nicholas Cox says, I'm naked again.
2: Indie by Design says, death is mercy.
0: Bearfish Pie says, goblin credits mercilessly. Jeff Gallant,
2: get the knife. And Craigity Craig says, again, really? Really?
0: Thank you, one and all. Uh, yes, on the, on the subject, it didn't actually come up, but uh, another little trivia nugget for you. The uh, faster restarts, please. Uh, it's actually 13 seconds between death and being able to restart, which is, by modern standards, about 12 seconds too long. <laughs> so, yeah, get used to it, suck it up, get good, and all that nonsense. To summarise then, Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah, so it's not a game that I have ever uh, one credited. <laughs> no, no, none of us has. Not many people have in the world, although I'm sure there are runs out there, even if we can be uh, suspicious of the ones that only use the, uh, the firebomb weapon. Um, I have, yeah, I, I have a lot of affection for Ghosts and Goblins, despite it breaking lots of things that I would say were like cardinal rules of not being a game that is just too annoying to enjoy. Uh I've possibly got to grips with why some of that is. There is an inherent humor to it. It has cracking atmosphere and setting and um, some wonderful music. Um, but it is. Yeah, it's not a game that I would strongly recommend folks to play now. Uh, I think that anyone who enjoys the Cane Rinse podcast should probably have. Uh, the Capcom Arcade Cabinet Collection. Um, I think it might actually be on Game Pass, or it, it was. In which case, if you're if you if your game Game Pass subscriber, I think you can just download all the games which originally came out in sort of multi-packs multi um, and play them now. I think it's well worth experiencing, even if you only ever get to the first Red Arama, <laughs> you get a sense of what Ghosts and Goblins is all about. Uh, we are coming back to the series for Ghouls and Ghosts and I hope more games from the series and its spin-offs in the future. I do find it endlessly sort of fascinating for some reason even though it's uh it can be punishing uh it's a very cute cool piece of arcade history not something that i would suggest anyone put themselves through beating properly necessarily but um but as a bit of a yeah, wonderful magical video game history uh just acquaint yourselves with it if nothing else and mikhil
1: um yeah i agree with a lot uh, of what you're saying i feel very similar um it's one of the games in uh my history with uh video games in general, uh that has made a big impact on me. In large part just to its fantastic uh art design or early art design. It's just so appealing, just like what third third drawing said, like that sort of cutesy horror atmosphere uh instantly spoke more to me than Mario's rather sort of abstract world cobbled together with bricks and pipes and Mm. turtles and and sort of random seemingly random elements it has been such a strong part of my dna especially not uh, especially if you consider that i wasn't exactly in love with the nes version when i when i played Mm. it and the arcade version i've only come across much later yeah so so much in love with the character design and the atmosphere that Arthur being announced for Marvel vs. Capcom 3 got me was was one of the announcements that got me really excited about getting that game on launch day Uh, that fantastic sort of mishmash of ghosts and goblins and ghouls and ghosts sort of stage of his in that game as well Mm. Uh, the red arimer might be just one of my favorite characters in uh, video games as a whole my favorite character designs Uh, just it's he, he look, looks wicked and evil and adorable at the same time, you know, and Playing this game again and trying to actually beat it uh, made me wonder why he's one of my <laughs> favorite characters because I How started detesting it? him. Yeah. Uh, but luckily you can actually, uh, uh, in one of the spin-off series, you can actually play as the, the Red Arim or the, the Red Demon. Yeah, so it's it's consistently been a strong part of my affinity for video games as a whole. And it's also an absolutely unfair, <laughs> evil, horrible game. If you if I would give be given a choice, I would play Ghouls and Ghosts or Super Ghouls and Ghosts any time of the uh, any day of the week over uh, over this one. But there's still something about it, right? It's still something gripping about Ghosts and Goblins, even though it's been improved upon by the sequels. Um, and I guess one of the main things that made me realize that was when I started sharing credits with a friend and uh, passing it around and just kind of laughing at each other's misfortune. (laughs) As things went horribly wrong in uh, otherwise promising runs for the top of that uh, horrible stage uh, 6 tower. Uh, So yeah, if you would ask me to recommend this this game to you, I would actually recommend checking out the sequels first. But there is still something about this one. And uh, I'm it also is telling that i feel like even though i haven't been able to get to to the end of the first loop even i haven't really given up on it uh, in my head and i still want to continue and you know it's i haven't i haven't thrown the the game aside in uh, hmm. pure disgust <laughs> so
0: yeah i think that's telling in itself so ben you've uh, you pretty much took uh, the sequels to this game to school and back would you recommend ghost and goblins what's your overall overriding feelings about the the first game in the series
2: modern games aren't this difficult and this is my uh, this is my first time on this uh, illustrious podcast and i really don't want to set myself up as that pro wrestling heel who comes on and cuts a mad promo saying the only reason why i'm in this stinking town is because none of you people know how to wrestle but it kind of feels like i have to do that here like uh, <laughs> there is there is nothing that can prepare you modern gaming wise for how difficult this is because you're not just wrestling with a, a difficult style of game com- compared with what we're, we're dealing with now. You're wrestling with really difficult, unfair elements that a lot of the time you can do everything completely right and kind of still die. It's the, it's the kind of game that mentally kind of crushes a lot of people. And it's the kind of game that really tests you in terms of how much do you actually, how much do you actually physically want to do this? Like uh, mm-hmm. with the sequels, you see it a lot as well. Like you, you have to... Be prepared to kind of put yourself through this, but speaking personally on this, there is no greater feeling than properly beating a game in this series and that's that's from from any game I've ever played. I can't describe to you what it was like when I beat the sequel to this and and i'm I'm hoping and, and trying and, and working to maybe get a clear that's half as good as the one I got on ghouls and Ghosts on this <laughs> and who knows what that's going to be like the, the the deal with this is the fact that this this game doesn't care like what other games you've beaten and it doesn't care kind of how good you are, how fast your reflexes are. It's, it's unforgiving, massively, massively unforgiving. And you can only learn so much by reading about it and, and and kind of watching it. What you have to do is get involved with it. And that's why this game for me is one of those games that will always be at the center of kind of what I do with trying to beat games on kind of one credit because I just think that, Games like this aren't supposed to be. And if you can somehow push through everything a game like this has got to throw at you, there's really nothing you can't
0: achieve. There goes that motivational speaking again. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, So it remains for me, Leon, to thank Mikheel and Ben. Ben, do you want to uh, tell people where they can find you if they haven't heard you on before or if they've forgotten... Oh, Heaven thank you very friend. much. Um,
2: yeah, if you want to go, if you good people want to go into YouTube and type in One Credit Classics and check out the, the YouTube channel there. There's a video up every Wednesday where I beat a classic game on one credit. There's also links to a few different bits and pieces on there. There's a Patreon in which I do bonus videos on Saturday where uh, the people on Patreon get to pick the uh, pick the games that I do. And yeah, there's game, like I say, there's competitions and and bits and pieces like that. Over on Twitter at uh, number one credit classics and on Facebook at one credit classics as well. And if you've got any uh, ideas of games that you might want to see me uh, complete that aren't Ghosts and Goblins or uh, Hagane then uh, yeah, <laughs> be free. To, uh, feel free to uh, feel free to drop me a line at any point, and we'll uh, we'll natter about things. It'll be uh, it'll be
0: climate. If you don't, if you do, ghosts and goblins, Hagane, uh shouldn't be a problem.
2: Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I watched it. I watched it done quick. Anyway, maybe we'll cover that one on here sometime. Uh, ben, we'll see you again for uh, Def Jam and Ghouls and Ghosts later this year. I won't miss it for the world. Thank you to all of our correspondents, our editor, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and appreciate all that we do, please subscribe, rate, review, wherever you can, Apple Podcasts or other platforms. Best of all, patreon.com slash supports Support us with a dollar a month, just a dollar, and get things earlier and unabridged, and a, an exclusive monthly podcast as well. Next time, in issue 336... 13 years after its original release and 7 years since we first reviewed it, Resident Evil 4 becomes the first game to get the Cane and Rinse podcast treatment twice.